kids behind the bus time. From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with BattleBots World Championship 7, Giant Nut winner, Jameson Go. Woo! Sabe for life! We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics news. I have one news item for you today. First up, catch Live Robot Combat this weekend in New Jersey, Minnesota, Salt Lake City, and Oxford, England. In Oxford, the Oxfordshire Robot Combat Society will be fighting ant weights at a bar called the Tap Social this Saturday. This is a really cool event. The Tap Social is a social justice-focused brewery that trains and employs former prison convicts. So grab a beer, watch some robot fighting, and support a good cause. In Minnesota, they'll be fighting ant weights and beetle weights at the American Legion in Lonsdale. In Salt Lake City, they'll be fighting ant weights and beetle weights at the Utah Arts Hub. However, for fans of NHRL, the big event this weekend will be the June Jumble a two-day competition in Washington, New Jersey that's being run in conjunction with the Warren County Balloon Festival being held at Warren Community College. NHRL favorites Caldera, Power Surge 2, Crash Fest, Half-Life, Cemetery Drive, Barcode, and Brian Boxel's newest robot, Fireball, will be in the field. The action kicks off at 2 p.m. on both Saturday and Sunday. And that's it for this week's news. Hey, Luke. Yes. I, I heard that the uh, the June Jumble uh, being done in Washington, New Jersey, in conjunction with the Warren County Balloon Festival is really on the up and up. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah, I hear there's a lot of hot air at- attached to that, uh, that, that event. Just like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's take a look back at the uh, season finale of BattleBots, the penultimate episode. It's also our, uh, you know, kind of final uh, big episode of the season. Um, really looking back on the season as a whole, but this, this episode specifically, um, we saw the top four seeds fail to advance. We saw COVID catch Ethan Kurtz, the end of the road for Ribot Cinderella postseason, and ultimately Sablaze, 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 hoisting the giant nut after an incredible final fight with Huge. Your thoughts on the finale, your thoughts on the season. I absolutely love this final episode. These guys did such a good job. Um, I love that it wasn't two crazy vertical spinners. I mean, y- yes, they were two vertical spinners, but very different vertical spinners than you normally see. Um, but I am very sad that we did not get the uh, the hydrovert I predicted because that would have been just many more lulls on the internet. It was an absolutely incredible episode. Um, it 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 had everything that you really want. Uh, it you know it had uh, builders who you know, really, really belonged in, in the final match, uh, both, you know, Jameson and, and Jonathan, their teams, they grind and they, they are, are, are some of the hardest working teams in the sport. Um, and you know, uh, th- that I'll extend that to, you know, virtually every team that was, that was here in the finale, everyone had really earned that place there. And, you know, <laughs> huge came so close. It was it was a slugfest of a final battle. That was 
that was incredible. Probably will uh, I'll always remember this as one of the best fights that I had ever seen. Uh, Jonathan came so close, and I hope that he has a completely renewed spirit uh, to keep plugging away. Huge looked incredible this season. Sawblaze looked incredible this season, and they, ah, uh, man, it like. I, I I just I just I stood there like mouth agape watching that match for the first time. I could not believe it. Sawblaze, oh man, it just it we say this all the time. It gets better and better every season. Um, but this season in particular, um, it really had to bring it because every bot has really improved year over year. Um, and I think as a whole this season, we've had some of the most competitive robots, um, some of the most even matches. Um, so in order to win this season, like you really had to be dialed in and uh, man, just Sawblaze really, really, really deserved it this time. Um, and uh, I'm glad, you know, after seeing Aaron Fan at NHRL for so long now, Glad that he was on the team and, um, you know, was able to um, bring like his own uh, talent and uh, whatnot to the team. I, I think it probably made uh, it, it probably made a difference uh, in the end. Um, but, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I've loved Sawblaze for so, so long. It's been my favorite robot. I'm so sorry, Copperhead. You know, I, I love you, too. But um, Sawblaze has been my favorite robot. Um, really since um i started watching the reboot um and uh this this felt like a, a very well deserved moment just because of how how much that team really puts in in the off season you see jameson always at nhrl almost every event like practicing his driving practicing everything um and you know the same for for jonathan and and huge and and the team um there's like no no teams that are more hard work. No, that's not true. Every team is really hardworking, but uh, you know, it, it couldn't have gone to 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 uh to a better team, and to, we couldn't have asked for a more exciting finale. Um, I will say it was very hard <laughs> sitting on um the secret for Copperhead uh this episode. Um, and uh, man, that was a really what a curveball um and what an odd thing to have to for the teams to have to deal with on the fly um with Ethan getting covid and um you know it sounds like he had a a quick recovery so we're happy to hear that um but i well first i want to say like i thought felix drove the pants off of that robot i thought he did phenomenal i don't really know how ethan could have done uh, anything better that would have made a difference. Yeah, I have to agree. He, for uh, his first time ever driving a combat robot, that kid came in with, what did you, I think it was you, Lindsay, who said this in one of our chats, all of the confidence of a teenage boy not knowing what they're doing is really, really scary. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm happy it was him because as a high school kid, you just don't know any better to not have the confidence. <laughs> What he was doing was terrifying, and he just went in there with all those got the confidence and drove really ridiculously well. 
But listen, drivers don't have much to do with whether or not a weapon snaps. And that's that's a physics issue. And y'all snap that weapon real good. Um, that was a crazy match. That was a really good match. Uh, I absolutely loved kind of the path of um, of Copperhead throughout this season. Best season Copperheads I've ever had. And uh, bringing down the uh, the 80s Russian bad guy movie villain uh, at the last minute. It, it's just phenomenal. It was so good. And we got a little bit of sympathy for the villain character, too, once you got, uh, <laughs> once you got the new driver in there. You got to love it. Like, it's just beautiful storytelling, except it's real. It really was cinematic. And, like, when you think about the fact that Copperhead was really on its last of everything, um, it was running on fumes at that point in terms of just, you know, parts and, you know, running damage things. And, um, you know, I know that the team left in the pits at that point was was pretty small. Um, shout out to everybody who was still there. I know Chris and I weren't. Um, but you know, they were the little bot that could, um, and they made it work. And Luke, I think displayed some of his best driving of the entire season. I think he really, you know, with each and every fight, like got better and better and to kind of have that, um, that moment where it all came together against Riptide. I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything better, like just cinematically narrative wise, um, I thought it was, I thought it was just perfect. Um, and you know, I, selfishly, I hope that Copperhead gets a little bit more attention from production next year because, uh, we had two major upsets in the, you know, round of 32. Um, and, uh, I don't know I, I'm, I think Copperhead's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. I, I, I was so surprised that in this fight we had the most exciting thing happen an egg beater drum snap in half and it was like david attenborough taking a look at like two penguins walking on the beach it was like uh like oh that's uh that happened and uh, that's interesting you know and you're like what are you talking about that's the freaking coolest thing that's happened this entire season you know like like it went from uh like well here here comes this underdog shoving copperhead into the corner copperhead looks like it's on the ropes and then copperhead comes back and snaps the weapon that was huge it was a huge huge moment and i i'm gonna just call them out i just don't i don't think they called it right i think that was way bigger of a moment than than it really um was uh was shown on tv um I will say that I was uh, dreading the final episode, like kind of the finale of the Riptide story arc this season. And I think that um, Aaron Catling and the producers showed uh, an awful lot of restraint. They could have spun the COVID story in a really, really different way. And they shot it straight down the middle, which I just respect so much. It could have been shot as like... Um, Oh, is this an asterisk season? Is Sableys actually the best robot in the world? You know, like could could Riptide have, have beat Sableys, you know, um, if they had made it further? Um, and they didn't do that, um, which I'm just so grateful for. Um, and instead they focused on Felix, turned it into an underdog story, um, and did not make a huge deal about Ethan catching COVID, and it could have been a huge deal. Um it didn't stop the ice road trucking mouth breathers from, uh, you know, posting conspiracy theories on the BattleBots group. I saw a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, laugh reacted to a couple of them. Um, 
just like how like just the 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 just huge amounts of copium that they had to take you know um after riptide lost i think was just delicious like give me more of that um but uh but yeah i i would say we could have left the season on a cliffhanger and we could have taken a lot of wind out of Jameson's sails unfairly. And I'm so glad that they didn't do that because Jameson deserved the win. Uh, he worked harder than anybody. <laughs> I'm going to say it, Lindsay, um, in the pits, like uh, we pitted right next to, to JMO. And I will tell you like that team is a well-oiled machine. Like they're like a Swiss clock at the end of every single day you could eat off of their table. It was spotless and um, just quietly efficient. And you could really, really tell that he's put so much time and effort and thought into his run and it paid off. And I'm just so, so happy for that. It's a really well-deserved win. I think if Minotaur, you know, wants to make a serious run at the nut, like it, that's what they so deserve at this point. They have to have to come up with a plan for how to beat Sawblaze because you know two out of two times now uh Jameson and Sawblaze have just thoroughly you know owned them uh and and Minotaur like is such a dominant robot but it's it I I feel that like to get to the finals to win the nut it's gonna have to go against Sawblaze again at some point um and they're gonna have to they gotta figure out i don't know what they could do but they have to figure out something because because jameson really has their number at this point i i i think uh, this is a good segue i guess into this other point that i want to bring up you know just in that um the top four right um copperhead huge ribot sables they are all nhl regulars and uh, they come and they fight all the time. Three out of four of them are within driving distance of Norwalk, Connecticut. This is the first time in seven years that the giant nut has come to the East Coast. And I do not think that it is a coincidence. I think that it is very much a product of being able to fight 30 pounders every other month if you want to. Um, and, you know, like to this point of like Minotaur as a design, you know, like um battlebots is a place where you could bring the same design year after year you know like just big weapon put it out in front right and not really change very much but the sport is evolving into this direction of really interesting attachments really interesting physics things that you know you're not expecting um like i think that at this point Legacy robots like Minotaur, like Tombstone, you know, like um, these these designs that haven't changed very much are going to increasingly have a difficult time just because there is so much more innovation that's happening and iteration that's happening in, in the sport, um, especially at the 30 pound and, and 12 pound uh, weight classes. Any other thoughts? I couldn't agree with you more that the NHRL kind of grind has really improved and honed these creators and builders techniques and styles. Um, I think, I think another like prime example is you're looking at a team like Minotaur who optimize one design over and over and over again. Whereas while the general shape of Sawblaze is the same as the first time we see it, it is a completely different robot in every way, shape or form. And the fact that he can morph it, 
to whatever bot he's facing. Even huge, like those attachments that for huge were brilliant. I mean, once you saw that, it was like, okay, well, I know how this fight's going now. Um, it's it's really interesting to see the people that are constantly stretching their brains versus the people who are just trying to make this one design look great or work great or do well. Um, and there really is a big a big difference there. Another bot that's like that, I'd say, is Hydra. You know what I mean? Hydra is just continuously improving this design, whereas Sawblaze is like, how do we have to morph and shift Sawblaze to make him better? Um, it was a phenomenal finale. I, I think that every fight was really good for its own reasons, but um, having that final go the distance and go to a judge's decision and be this knockdown dragout slugfest that went the way that it went was just a beautiful end of the season. And, um, you know, congratulations to all of the teams. They did a phenomenal job. Any thoughts on Ribot and Hydra? I know that, you know, that has been one that is people on the internet have been talking about, um, uh, just like the tactic that, uh, David Jin employed, um, I thought it was really interesting and it, it, I guess ultimately came down to Hydra just kind of losing patience first and going for it. But I don't know uh, if you had any thoughts on that. Cause it's not something that we've really seen. I don't, I don't think before. Yeah. No, that was like a gunslinger match. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you play by Jake's rules, um, Jake rules. Yep. I, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, this is a very tactical driving match. Like, I, I, it's funny. I was um, I was talking to Evan Arias this weekend about um, basically the decision to allow your opponent to die, you know, which is kind of like, you know, the, the last half of a match. But, you know, it's you can talk about it also in the first part of the match where it's like, you know, um, if you if you go into a fight thinking like, oh, hey, I'm here to put on a show and I'm going to smash and I'm going to, you know, like run my my weapon. I'm going to go weapon on weapon. I'm going to try and do a box rush. You know, you don't really think it through very much. And, you know, oh, wow, my robot's flipping in the air and it's so great and everyone's cheering in the crowd, right? It's like this um, very like kind of fan service way of driving versus tactical driving where you say like, hey, I've hit my opponent and I have two minutes left on the clock and they're not moving very much. I'm just going to back off and I'm going to allow them to die because I don't want to get stuck in one of these kill slots or I don't want to like accidentally uh, run high center myself over a piece of debris or something like that. You know, I'm going to play it totally conservatively so that I can win. Very tactical. It is a very kind of championship minded mindset. Um, and when I saw this where it was like, hey, I am willing to wait 90 seconds for Hydra to make a mistake. I was like, this is brilliant. This is this is like beetle weight fighting, you know? Um, and it is like bad for the show, but good for the competition, good for the sport. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I thought it was, I thought it was a cool, like pretty, pretty interesting match and, and, an, and a good driving decision by, by David. Yeah. We talk about it all the time at NHRL. What a good driver David Jin is. I mean, Lucy do brought him in to drive on hot leaf juice because of his prowess. Um, and he shows just technical driving brilliance in that competition all the time. They don't talk about it that much at BattleBox. Um, that story is probably going to change next year after this because this was this was a chess match that uh, they made interesting on TV, which good for them. You know what I mean? Like that's that's not normally what the BattleBots 
production team goes for or what they kind of want to promote, but they did a really good job explaining this one and showing this one. And, and Kenny did a really great job hyping it up. I thought it was good. And then uh, David tried to do something similar in the next match against Sawblaze and <laughs> <laughs> turned into a ballet dance for a while until, um, you know, Jameson was able to kind of break free of that. And then, just utterly, <laughs> utterly trounced them uh, the rest of the time until they were just a, a flaming frog, um, which is pretty entertaining, I have to say. But yeah, I mean, props to David for trying that and having the patience. And um, it worked out for him once and it, it almost might have worked out for him a second time. Um, but, uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to pull that off against a driver like Jameson. I love that they promoted or they talked about that fight as like, you know, David Jin is his apprentice or was uh, like um, Jameson Grow was his mentor. And, uh, you know, it was like, oh, that's a really interesting way to frame this. You know, you don't like you don't see them as that anymore when you follow all of the other competitions and know like kind of what their um, history of battling each other and, and how that's all gone. It, it's interesting that they were like, oh, yeah, he's his mentor. He's and the, that was a cool way to frame that fight. Um. Yeah, but Sawblaze was straight up S tier this entire competition. There was no way to defeat them. That that was a, a really beautiful fight for Sawblaze. Now, uh, we are about to jump into our interview with Jameson, and we will ask all of these questions and more. Um. So yeah, stay tuned for that. Um. This past week, our very final, you know, predictions card of the uh, of the season. We had 73 people send in the simplest prediction of the season. We didn't ask for every single fight. We just asked, who do you think will win the Giant Nuts? Uh, <clears throat> 16 people managed to correctly predict Sable. So 16 out of 73. Um, in alphabetical order by your first name. So I guess uh, listen up. <laughs> Those people were Alexander Curtis, Andrew Freetag, Austin Brady, Brett Gordon, Cameron Hutton, Chad Reamer, Drew Monteith, Ethan Van Gorp, Francois Froll Pelsier, Ivan Young, James Montgomery, Josh Kubiak, Michael Weiss, Rob Turner, Sean Peterson, and Sumi Schick. This officially concludes this season of predictions and our little game of Are You Smarter Than a Kyle? Now, uh, we might revive Are You Smarter Than a Kyle in the uh, the postseason at some point um, and invite someone to come on the show and compete for uh, wonderful prizes or something. What, what, what do you say, Kyle? I'm into it. That sounds like fun. Nice. All right. After the break, we'll return with our interview with JMO. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, multi-time Golden Dumpster winner, Golden Brett winner, and now Giant Nut winner, Jameson Go. Jameson has been building and fighting robots since he was a teenager, and this past Thursday, achieved his lifelong dream of winning the biggest prize in combat robotics. We're catching up with JMO after a very busy week where he celebrated with his hometown fans at a watch party in Massachusetts and then flew to Las Vegas to celebrate with fans of BattleBots at Destructathon. We're the latest group of fans that get to celebrate with you, so welcome back to the show, JMO. Hey, great to be back. Oh, man, it is wonderful to have you on here. What, what, I, I'm sure that Cloud9 feels great. Tell us a little bit about Cloud10 and Cloud11. <laughs> Yeah, I've never heard of it referred to as that, but you know, I guess you could kind of say that it's 
it's so fantastic. I mean, how many people can say, I've achieved my childhood dream? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, it's, it's so amazing. It, it, it feels poetic how I started doing engineering by watching BattleBots on TV and then building basically models of BattleBots out of basic, of, you know, whatever, you know, a lot of scrap and trash, really, honestly. And then having the opportunity to compete at the lower weight classes in 2004, and then all these years later, of my, you know, education, my career, and basically building robots the entire time. Finally, it all comes full circle, and I'm back at BattleBots, back at the giant nut, you know, the ultimate prize in robot fighting. You know, before we even get into the fan questions, of which there are many, many, many fan questions. I just want to say we're so happy that you're this season's BattleBots champion. You really uh, embody the the spirit of combat robotics and the community and all the really wonderful positive attitudes that we typically associate with the sport. You're, you're innovative, intelligent, you're a really good sportsman, and you have a great sense of humor along the way. Uh, you're so dialed in. This is, it's like the most, one of the most well-deserved uh, awards that I've ever really kind of seen handed out in, in let's let's just even go outside of the realm of combat robotics. Uh, you are incredibly deserving this, and we're so excited to see that you get to bring the giant nut home. Oh, that, that's uh, thank you very much. That's really nice to say. I mean, there's a bunch of teams that I think are also very deserving of of winning the title. Uh, I mean, you look at who's in the bracket. It's just so amazing. The different personalities, the designs, and everyone. Everyone has their own their own path, their journey, and they're all so very interesting. Like learning not only just about the robots and what they do, but also the people on the teams and their path. About why are they here? What motivates them? I find that also personally satisfying. Though, so, you know, maybe next year we'll see one of them hoist the giant nut. I'm happy to be the winner for this season. Now, this is the first time in the modern era of BattleBots that we've seen the giant nut come home to the East Coast, which is really exciting for all of us here as fellow East Coasters. Uh, you know, for us, one of the big things that we saw this season was how uh, the Center of Combat Robotics universe seems to be shifting towards the East Coast. We have, of course, over here, NHRL. And with this year's semifinalists, we have Sawblaze, Huge, Ribot, uh, and even Copperhead, kind of tangentially, where... All of one golden dumpsters at NHRL, and three out of the four of those teams are within driving distance of NHRL. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in the background, we're always thinking, like, is it going to come to the East Coast? We never had a giant nut winner in the East Coast. And that is quite amazing that usually we have, you know, a, a California team of some sort. I mean, California teams being highly dominant in the, the large weight classes. So actually, it's surprising to have none of them in, in the final four. Yeah, California, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a huge honor to be the first uh, to be the first winner on the East Coast. I mean, there's a lot of firsts actually for Sawblaze as well. Uh, to my knowledge, they're the first overhead attacking robot, definitely in the heavyweights to win a title. And you know, also as new things are introduced uh, in the reboot seasons of BattleBots, the first robot to have a flamethrower on it, which is pretty cool as well. And there may be some other things that I that I missed, but those are a few that jump immediately to my mind. You know, we're we're breaking ground here. 
before, you know, I, we're going to get back to NHRL questions. We're obviously going to talk about season seven. Do you think that like one of the reasons why we're seeing these East Coast uh, teams accelerate is because they have uh, they have so much um, practice that they're kind of able to flex in 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 even the heavyweight division, but just by being present at you know East Coast events like NHRL where they can come out basically every six weeks if they want to and fight against top tier talent. I think that definitely helps. I mean, even if you're not fighting a robot of exactly the same size, you're going through the motions. You're learning about all these different design nuances. You're practicing your preparedness. You're learning about, you know, how you as a as a as a person or as a team is, needs to operate in order to be successful at these higher and higher levels of robotic combat. And NHRL at this point is so competitive. There are so many teams that are the regulars uh, are just the level just goes higher and higher every single time. If you want to win the golden dumpster, you have to be you have to be really, really good. So definitely kudos to all the teams that have won this this year and you know last year, it takes a lot to be victorious at NHRL. So the more chances you have to practice, you know, your driving or even preparing is it's all super useful. How how well does the um the experience that you're getting driving a bot like Megatron in in a lower weight class, how well does that translate to uh, your ability to kind of adapt, drive well, and kind of overcome things at the heavyweight class? Yeah, the, the funny thing about Megatron and Sawblades is that they, I try to keep them as close as possible. So, you know, people have asked about, oh, hey, you want Megatron to go to a shuffler like Silent Spring? And I was like, well... The weight bonus like would make it a little bit unfair. I want those two to be pretty equivalent platforms. So a lot of the construction uh, and the scalability of the of the of the robots, then I would like for them to stay relatively the same. And you know, minibot strategies would also change that as well. The controls for the two robots are actually kept exactly the same, and that's intentional for practice reasons, so that it, it essentially it becomes muscle memory. When I want to do stuff with one robot or do stuff with the other robot, you know, uh, it's it's all just the same controls. So that helps me with maneuvering. It helps me with timing, uh, and also practice with you know, as as many folks have pointed out this season, accuracy with the weapon, being selective, and also knowing where it's going to hit. So all those things, it's a great practice robot to have for BattleBots. This probably segues into Ryan Hunter's question uh, regarding season seven. Ryan Hunter, he helps uh, run pit control at NHRL. And as always, Ryan Hunter invites ChatGPT to send in a question each week. And this week, the AI model wrote, Congratulations to Jameson Go on his impressive accomplishments. This season of BattleBots was widely regarded as one of the most competitive fields in the show's history. How did you and your team prepare for such a challenging competition? Well, you know, Team Sawblaze has always been about preparation. You know, we don't have a big machine shop anymore. Uh, when I was at MIT, we used to have a lot of facilities available to us. And now we basically have the, you know, the random shops that, we, that each one of our team members have at their workplaces, some of which, you know, as some, some are actually independent, uh, independent business folks. They don't have any facilities at all. So 
we have to do a lot of outsourcing for our fabrication, and that means you have to do a lot of planning. So as a result, we design well ahead of time. We, you know, cross our T's and dot our I's. We have to make sure that it all comes in uh, properly. All the parts, they come in as expected. If there's something wrong, we have to leave time for them to be fixed. Then we have to have time to test them all. You know, it's we leaving a lot of extra time. That's like the reoccurring thing, right? The reoccurring theme is that uh, we prepare. And that's why I think makes us successful. You know, one thing that folks have noted uh, when we first rolled into the pits this year, uh, some of the safety check guys are like, you only have one robot. And we're like, yeah. And they're like, well, the other teams have like two or three robots. <laughs> like, isn't that, is, isn't that kind of like, aren't you setting yourself up a little bit for, for a disaster? And, you know, yep, that did make us think a little bit, but we were very confident in, in our ability to get the robot ready between fights. I mean, we tested everything to make sure all the parts fit together, and that helps us for sure. That all the spares that we have are fully compatible with all the every other part that we have. So we know that something gets damaged, we just swap out sections of it, and we designed the robot also to be very repairable. So all that pre-planning goes into how quickly we're able to do repairs, get in and out of fights, and make sure the robot is 100% going into the next one. I mean, we took a lot of damage in some of our fights, right? Yeah. Now, like speaking of preparation, I have a question here from Meme Man from Discord who wants to know, well, I I'm amazed at how you always get so focused and you don't seem any bit anxious or nervous before any fight, no matter who you're against. Do you do something in the pits to psych yourself up or prepare yourself or are you just built different? Meme Man also <laughs> thinks that it's probably the second option. <laughs> yeah. Do I psych myself out? Uh, um, no. How do I how do I psych myself up for a fight? I mean, I think it's really about it's, a, it's not about psyching myself up per se. I think it's about leveling out the emotion, which is kind of weird. Uh, mm. Definitely, every fight I feel pretty nervous. There's a lot of really high pressure fights. The first fight of the season always a big deal. Fighting Scorpios also a really big deal. Fighting Hydra that was a big deal. And then everything after that, like your first your round of 32 is, is Aaron Hill and Blip. Like he could knock you out at round one. That's in, that's insane. Uh, every single fight had so much pressure. And so you're going into it feeling pretty riled up. I don't know how I went to sleep every night, honestly. So what do I do? I just, uh, you know, I do what I do what I know I do best. I practice in the pits. I got a little robot that I drive around. It's pretty. It's fairly equivalent. I wouldn't say it's perfect one to one to driving saw blades, but just something to practice the motions. You know, if I'm feeling pretty good about being able to do maneuvers, it helps me feel. It calms me a little bit, gets me into that that uh, that zone. Just do some breathing exercises. Really focus on. Hey, we're here. We're gonna go. We're gonna do good. We're gonna uh, have a good time. We're gonna try our best. And honestly, you know, everyone asks about this as well. My my. My little my stance, you know, when I'm getting ready for a fight, that gets the jitters out. It's basically it's a it's a method that I've devised that work I think works really well to basically put anxiety into an action that you can control. Oh, that's brilliant! And for those that might not know what you're talking about, you're talking about the the classic JMO shuffle when you have your you have your controller, you're dialed in, you're you're focused on the bot and the box, and you're kind of doing your sway almost like a Mortal Kombat starter screen. 
yeah, my, my fighter stance. So yeah, that that's that's exactly what I'm referring to. It's it's the uh, it's the wisdom of having lots and lots of matches, kind of that that's that's in that rolodex that you get to draw from that wealth of experience that kind of calluses you against that anxiety. Precisely, and you know everyone kind of they you, you know you could give it a try if you wanted to. Um, everyone might have their own their own technique. You know, sometimes sometimes you just got to yell it out. You know, and that that gets <laughs> you that gets all the emotions out of the way you can focus on what you're about to do meme man wants to know if you could redo any fight from the season which would it be and what would you do differently from this season yeah from this season seven Ooh. hmm you know that it's it's really tough to say because i i don't know i feel like this season ended pretty perfectly if if anything changed you know would our rankings change would our matchups change it's it's hard to say like oh would I do everything anything differently it's you know I kind of feel like everything happened for a reason you know we we did pretty well in our first three fights you know we got the we the record was good for us but the uh, the Hydra one was also very important it was an important loss because you know when when you lose you find out your things about the machine something that we were kind of loosely aware of was that the uh, the plow could take damage it could tear Right. From the it could the forks could tear the plow itself and then cause issues. We actually had that even last year, but we had addressed that by adding reinforcement in specific areas on the new versions. The the plow base that we happened to use against Hydra was an old one which did not have that modification. So when we fought them and they flipped us and they 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 bent the plow base in the way that we were. We we had experienced before in a worser way than we had ever had before, that reinforced that hey the the fact that hey we need to publish these changes all across the board, though, and and our gearbox broke as well. So we we learned that a lot of things about what we needed to do, to be successful in future fights. All those became incredibly important. So if we didn't have that loss, we might not have learned the same things. So it's like which one would we have done differently? Um. So what what you're saying is almost sometimes to have the perfect season you need to have an imperfect season. Yes. Every like it, it's just the, the the chances where you get to learn something. Definitely the qualifiers are good for that because you know that if you lose it you're not necessarily out. You still need to do good enough to make it into the bracket, but you know see it as an opportunity for learning that is potentially not harmful to your ability to get into the tournament. Of course if you lose in the tournament you're out. So you should try not to learn your lessons out there. That's <laughs> that's when it becomes really important. But you know, when you have the opportunity, and especially fighting really good opponents in the qualifiers, this might be your chance. Of course, we're, we're trying to beat Hydra. Let's let's all let's let's be clear about that. We're not trying to say like, oh, Hydra break us so we can find out how flippers will kick our butt. Um, but uh, we we end up learning something. I guess maybe if I were to do one fight slightly differently, maybe one thing I would change is maybe the Minotaur fight is to pay more attention. You know, they were on fire. We're feeling pretty good. There's a few opportunities where the engagement kind of flipped us up in the air, and that led to a whole lot more damage. So maybe there's a way to have preserved our parts a little bit better in that fight. But at the same time, that fight was so awesome. I I loved how it was back and forth. I don't want to change that either. Mm. (laughs) It's pretty tough. All right. Meme Man wraps up his questions by saying, Finally, was there a robot in particular that inspired you to make uh, combat robots in the first place? If so, which one? Uh, Meme Man goes on to just say, 
Sawblaze is an amazing machine. Congratulations to you and the rest of the team once again for coming out on top in one of the craziest seasons we've ever seen. Oh, uh, thank you. And, you know, every single robot, I, I've, see, I've been watching it since the Comedy Central days. Uh, the robot, which I really gravitated towards, I didn't see until a few la- a few years later. That was, of course, the middleweight SOB uh, finalist, lost the T-minus, dustpan-shaped robot also with an overhead saw. You can kind of see, you can kind of see what happened with that with that inspiration. But the the first robots I actually saw, you know, I thought it was just super cool how they had robots, sports, and everyone looked. All the robots looked different, and all the teams were. I mean, it was it was such a. There, there's so much to process at the same time. I just absolutely loved it. I still remember my first fight was Revision Z versus Gray Matter, and I don't know if anyone remembers those two robots, but I do. And it was so cool. Oh, man. All right. This is an interesting question here from Mike Chael, who wants to know, what do you think of Sordios and Zach's thinking on using the Overkill Blade against Sawblaze? You know, I, it's a shame that everyone is giving, you know, giving Zach and Diana so much flack for that decision. I mean, sometimes when you're against a tough opponent, you do have to take a risk. And, you know, a lot of people... You, for years have been comparing us together and saying who's the better hammer saw zach and diana and us we don't necessarily care about trying to push that narrative we're not trying to go out of our way to say oh we're better than them or something at this point we we kind of just existed we kind of just um agreed that we coexist and i mean there's a billion vertical spinners so why not compare all those together i mean maybe you guys feel the same way like there's People are comparing Copperhead and Minotaur all the time, and I'm sure that would be a fantastic fight too. But you know, their decision making—they had a really tough decision. Uh, we knew what we were going to do, and they took the risk to say, "Hey, let's try and do something a little bit different." They decided that going head to head with the hammer saws might not be good for the long-term game. They're explaining to us they only had maybe maybe two of the hammer saw arm assemblies, and if we wrecked one. You know, this is the qualifiers that might really mess up the rest of their season. Uh, and so they, they may have taken this risk. Overkill was known for being the the buster of spinning weapons. So, you know, what what do I think about it? I think that you gotta you gotta take the risks. You know, you you always make a, an educated decision about if you think it'll work or not. And maybe it could have, but they got stuck under the screws. Similar to our strategy against huge. I mean, if it didn't work, people were just they would they would be flaming us right now, right? We're we're mm-hmm. only we're we're being praised because it did work. So yeah. you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and I'll I'll admit, and I'm not uh I'm not afraid to um put a derogatory mark on my ego and say that when I you know, when I saw the Scorpio Sawblaze fight, I was like, what was that? That's not what I've been promised. That's not what I've been hearing about. But you really articulated it really well because when you said you know, hey, there's room for Scorpios and Sawblaze. There's room for Copperhead and Minotaur because we don't want to consolidate different bot designs. We don't want to just say, here's the be-all end-all of this particular bot design. And now they're the ones that really kind of own that particular domain and it disincentivizes other people from exploring and building new things in there. So that's that's a, that was a great way to put it. Um, uh, you know, full stop, checkmate. Uh, I hope that ends that online uh, 
that online that that, that yeah. buzz room for 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 you know everything moving forward. Um, I, I will say my personal opinion is I I was a little bit relieved because I was worried about their our thumb war. You know, if I'm not having to fight the spinning weapon, that might give me a little bit more leeway if they hit us in the gooey spot, just like Zach was describing. And if we hit them there, it would be terrible for both of us. So I was I was a little bit relieved to see that the, the sword had won the vote. But <laughs> All right. So I have a, a question here from Tim Borgard from Team Crotaladidae. Crotaladidae. I'm always going to get that wrong. Crotaladidae, who wants to know... Were the Minotaur and Ribot battery snipes luck, or did you know you were bringing the hammer down on that battery? So the, for the Minotaur one, I I did know that the the robot doesn't it doesn't change a, a whole lot between seasons. It's it's difficult for them to, to make those modifications. Right. So the batteries are always going to be somewhere in the back. Uh, so we're pretty well informed about where we would need to hit if we want to hit the batteries. But you know, honestly, for a lot of saw blades and in firing the hammer saw it's really about not hitting something that's too hard so don't hit the drum don't hit ribot's spinning blade you know oh where's all the hard tool steel things avoid those all these robots are built so densely these days like the people usually build smaller than they build bigger and so if you hit anywhere which is soft enough you're probably going to affect the function of the robot you know, uh, some robots have redundancy. That's that's fine, uh, but they will start to slow down. And Sawblaze not being a huge puncher, uh, in terms of like the hits we give are relatively, they're they're a lot smaller than your other vertical spinner. Um, we we'll win over time if we're going to do anything like that. So Minotaurs, you know, all aluminum except for the aluminum composite, which is on the top, and then the the spinning drum in the front don't hit the drum hit the top if you want to but it's probably not going to go through as easily so hit the bottom in the back it's where the electronics and the batteries are so that was that was pretty well intentional uh the actually the first shot that we took on them i knew that's where their weapon motors were and i was hoping i could stall one mm. but it's it has the half inch aluminum and then all the motors are encased in another aluminum block i needed a lot more power to get through that one uh, for Ribot, I actually have no idea where everything's located, but you know they they have a modular robot, so the back half is usually the drivetrain stuff. The front half is the weapon system, so hitting somewhere up in that region might affect their weapons somehow. And I guess that was the batteries that uh, that drove the spinner. So they had drivetrain, they had full drivetrain, and David did a great job of keeping the front end towards us, so we couldn't hit the back. Um, and he was feeding the blade direction into the path of, the, of our blade. And I'm not going to strike down on that. So he did a good job of reducing further damage. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and it's totally true. The smaller the bot, the more nutritionally dense the uh, the the bite is, and there's a good <laughs> chance that uh, the more compact a bot, that a perfect precise uh, hit somewhere along the top of the chassis, on the side of the the rib cage, or somewhere in the back, you're going to end up biting into. Uh, all sorts of goodness, but you know, obviously, again, the smaller the bot is, the closer you are always to its teeth. So, yeah, like in in the case of Minotaur, like it's it must be uh, you must be sweating bullets when it actually comes time to dropping that arm down because you really can't miss your mark even by a few inches because you could end up losing, 
you know, your, uh, your attack appendage, let's call it. Yeah. You can, you can see, uh, I mean, the, in that, that first shot, when I was going to the weapon motor, the robot, the Minotaur is not sitting perfectly still. So it's like kind of threading the needle. Like if I go too far and it, I hit actually behind the drum, I don't know what would exactly was going to happen. It probably wouldn't be that pretty. So I was like trying to see if I'm lined up for a shot over the weapon motor and not going to hit behind the drum or something. You know, we're, we're not meant to do what, you know, the hammer bots do, not what Shatter it, what old Chomp had done. So we know what happens when the arm gets hit. <laughs> right. You can clearly see it in that fight. We're, we're going to go, obviously, now to the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, of nutritionally dense. I guess the, this would be like the... Um, the fluffy, uh, the bread, the, bread the funnel cake. The funnel cake. Of, <laughs> the, uh, the funnel cake of robots. So Tom Farkas, an HRL 2022 Rookie of the Year who runs Positively Hysterical, wants to, uh, to know a little bit about something with your fight with Huge. I know Huge is a strange robot to fight. But was there anyone on that side of the bracket that you didn't want to fight or someone that you were hoping to fight? Let's see. Didn't want to fight. I mean, there's a whole bunch of robots that I hope I'd never have to deal with. They are all super powerful. I mean, Copperhead is another one of those. I, I do see it as uh, just as potent as Minotaur. Uh, actually, some advantages as well. But, you know, maybe I won't tell you what they are yet. Uh, Riptide also has been tearing up like all the bots that they face. So they're very much you know, alive, especially in the, that last episode, they're very much alive and a potential contender. Uh, let's see who else, um, who would I want to fight on the other side of the bracket? Uh, Witch Doctor actually is always a ton of fun. They're looking incredibly powerful this year as well, but you know, we got to even the score. You see they're, they're one up fight on us, the, the two and one record, their favor in our head to heads. So I'd like to even that out. So I was kind of hoping Witch Doctor might be able to make it through the, the other side of the bracket. It would be a, an ultimate clash of titans, of course. And was there a specific question about the, the huge the huge fight that you that Tom was asking about? Or? Oh, that, we're, we're, we're getting into the entire realm Oh-ho. of huge versus something. <laughs> so we're going to be here for a while. Uh, Tom just wanted to, he concludes by just saying, you know, JMO, thanks so much for being so approachable and friendly at events and the Hamshake versus Paws fight is still one of his favorite fights of all time. Uh, so awesome nod from Tom. Tom is an incredible uh, builder, an incredible listener, fan, and uh, we love him. Oh, thank you. All right. So now we are here. We're in huge versus Sawblaze land. We have uh, our first set of questions here from Aiden Powers, who runs Square Up. Aiden writes, you've always been known as someone who doesn't lose to the same archetypes twice in a row. What do you have to change in your process to win against huge archetype on the first try? Well, uh, it's kind of funny, actually. So the, the first time Megatron fought huge, it lost. And I think Jonathan was really nice to not hit Megatron. It actually, what ended up happening is that I didn't tighten the arm clutch and it flipped over. But but uh, just, just funny about the... The comment about the archetype is that actually the, my first outing with the with the hammer saw saw blaze esque type robot against huge it did actually lose. Um, so what do we have to do to? I mean, you have to you have to look and strategize, right? We, you know, you know what huge's advantages are. You know, they're they're pretty well known. The, the chassis height is very high. They hit very hard. They're very reliable this year. 
the wheels are kind of like a, a bait. If you don't have the right kind of robot, you can't really attack the wheels very well. So that's why Huge tends to have a bad time against horizontal spinners because they take up such a wide amount of area. Uh, they'll be able to attack the wheels effectively, and they also, you know, they'll act a little bit as, as a shield if the to block the blade. You know, going weapon to weapon, Huge does not have. They have a large spinner, but in terms of the weightiness, like we're looking at the energy storage, it's almost on par with ours, despite ours being much, much smaller, because they have the long, slender bar shape. So horizontal spinners tend to do really well against huge. If you don't have one, what do you do? You have to look and, and see what what strengths your machine has. And ours is definitely on the... The, the, the strong points are going to be in the controllability. So we have... A lot of armor in the right in the right places, specific places. We can tank hits in specific areas, so we need to make sure we get hit there. You know, if we try to go around for the wheels, you know, people say, "Oh, why don't you just attack the wheels?" Well, the wheels are. Jonathan knows that, and the huge team knows that they're meant to take the hits. And our robot, we have to, we have to reach and get the and hit the wheels. And if even if we did hit the wheels, we have to hit the wheels. I don't know how many spokes there are. You have to hit them n number of times before the robot collapses. To do that perfectly without getting hit by huge, because mm. you know at the same time you're trying to outmaneuver their blade. If you make a mistake, they hit you on the side, on the back, on the arm. It's very very difficult. So let's reduce the skill problem to a design problem. Beef up the front and go straight at it. And then if we can if we can stick onto them just long enough to get a good pin then we can start attacking that was the whole rationale behind that that front end is put the armor in the front we have the implements to control them they need to be strong enough to get hit too and basically play this this probability game that we're going to be able to get in to, to stay close enough that we can get a pin and slow down the blade by literally running into their weapon right Aiden's second question here is actually kind of blowing my mind because now that I'm replaying things in my head, I didn't even realize that's what was happening at the time. Uh, Aiden asks, there were a surprising amount of bots deep in the tournament with only one driver, which it looks like you switched to for the finals. What drove that decision and how did it impact your driving style? Uh, that's a good point. So the two, the two drivers this season... Uh, myself and the other guy, Liam, you know, our super tall Nordic never smiles guy, as, as people need to poke, uh, point out, uh, he's actually controlling the flamethrower. So the reason why he doesn't have a controller in his hand this time is because we, unfortunately, for the very first time ever, had to take the flamethrower out of Sawblaze so we can put more random steel on it. So what that leaves us with is all the, the primary robot functions, like the drivetrain, the arm control, the blade speed has uh, has always been on my controller. Uh, every every function that affects the controllability, the maneuverability of the robot is on one controller. So I know at some teams they have a driver and they have the weapons operator. In this case, it's all on on my controller. It's the same way for Megatron as well. So actually, nothing changed with regards to the primary robot function. Uh, and and remind me of your of your teammate's uh, name again. The the tall Nordic. Um, I'm gonna call him like I don't know, Secret <laughs> Service agent. Uh, Liam. I don't Liam. actually know if he's Nordic or not. I uh, 
<laughs> he is two spears short of raiding a village is what he is. Um, and uh, yeah, I, there was a couple of times that I would swing by the saw blaze table at filming and, you know, just like, oh, you know, where's JMO at? I would, uh, you know, I'd love to see what's going on. And then you just like catch the glare of someone who's kind of acting as your entire pit area bouncer. And, uh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. He, I'll be uh, sure to let him know he would that. make a fantastic villain. Fantastic 80s villain uh, in the making. I think we borrowed a Sharpie for one second <laughs> once. <laughs> and he stared us down. <laughs> and I, oh, no. uh, I almost cried. Oh, okay. No, not really. But inside I was like, oh no, I've, I've just, uh, I've angered this, this very, very imposing he man. The keeper, <laughs> keeper of the Sharpie. Make sure that it returns. He knows that he is like one of those kind of a domineering presence as an asset, uh, especially in the pits and at a at a competition where uh, the stakes are high, the uh, the expenses are high, and uh, you know what? A little intimidation can go a long way. <laughs> oh, uh, I'll definitely have to let him know. That's that's. I think that he. I think he's really enjoying it. Actually, uh, the whole team is actually really enjoying all the, the comments that we get and. There's been a few memes as well uh, about about him and, and Sam. It's just, it's just so funny. Uh, I'm definitely gonna let him know. But if you if you ever do want to come by and, and talk about tech stuff, he is he is very friendly and very knowledgeable. He knows a, a lot about everything. Uh, pinball machines. You got to ask him about ask him and Sam about their pinball machine collection. Oh really? Oh that's so cool. Oh yeah, they that's that one of the things they do for fun uh, is restore pinball machines so they have a large collection of them and you know they'll go through all the all the details about his favorite ones uh he mentioned the name of their favorite pinball machine designer the name escapes me but that's the level that's the level that they they know about that whole field that's blowing my mind um all right we can go down we can go down pinball alley uh all day until we're deaf dumb and blind <laughs> uh but I'm going to go on to Bloodsport team member, YouTube star Seth Schaefer, who runs Division at NHRL and sells the shameless self-promotion kit through his company, Just Cause Robotics. Check them out. It's an awesome kit. All right. Going into the huge fight, what percentage chance did you think that you had to win? Well, um, let's, let's, I'll, I'll rephrase that question a little bit. What percentage chance did we think we're going to win if we did nothing? And I think that percentage chance would have been pretty low. So I, th I think most folks, uh, the builder poll voted against us. Uh, Jake Ewart, in his his little interview segment they had actually before the finals, he was he thinks he thought Huge would win. Uh, he hadn't seen our version of the the uh, the cow catcher, blah blah blah. Uh, yeah, Jake, I show you how it's done. Uh, <laughs> I think that our percentage of winning, if we did nothing, would have been pretty low. Uh, and so this was a extremely necessary change. So we, as a team, we looked at, all right, here's our opponent. They have quite the, the history, you know, the record this season, not only just because they're undefeated, but because the, what they're doing to their opponents, it's, it's clearly written that if we do nothing, it's, it's uh, probably not going to turn out well. So we said, we're going to do something and it may look ridiculous, but we think it's incredibly necessary and better than doing nothing at all. Yeah. What percentage chance that after we made the thing that we think it was going to be? I don't know. I'd still give it like a 50 50. 
I think I think the thing that we had the most confidence in was the Tegris would survive and that we would get hit on the thing. Just as like, because well, I mean, we we would drive into him, right? It's pretty guaranteed. Whether it would survive, you know, it's not designed for that. That's the that's our horizontal wedge that we just welded up in place. So it's all it's all original saw blades parts. It's just assembled in in funny ways because saw blades. The thing that we have in the front area is that there's a bunch of extra holes for that purpose, so that we can take existing parts and mount them in all sorts of crazy ways depending on who we have to fight. Uh, so for all the folks that are really unhappy about something new configuration, it's the same parts. It's just mounted in in, in a different hole. It's fine. Uh, and on this on this note, actually. Uh, Big shout out. We needed longer eyebrows. So there's a bunch of teams that stepped in to help us with that. Uh, Horizon uh, sold us some Tegris from, from their uh, supply. And we actually borrowed the Jigsaw from Switchback and Hijinx. Uh, so definitely a big help to, to those guys. So we can, we're can we able to make those uh, the taller eyebrows. Mm. The, the thing which really corralled huge, which captured them so we can land those strikes, you know, I, I definitely want to thank them because we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Yeah, it's Seth's second question. I, I'm really curious about also is how far in advance of this fight was that configuration dreamt of? Was it minutes, hours? Was it something that you had been thinking about even leading up to the season? Thinking about up to the season, yes. Now it wasn't actually flushed out because we're you know there's a billion other things to think about. No, so we have a big spreadsheet of all the competitors that we know are going to go, including the alternates, because you never know the alternates will make it in, in this case, this season they did. Uh, so we have a big spreadsheet about, you know, the the robot, what we expect they're going to run against us, if they have that ability to be semi-configurable, what we would, what strategy or configuration we would use against them. And it's just to make sure we have like the common denominator for the number of configurations. You know, every different setup is gonna take more money in preparation time and so we just want to say like okay we like we have the minimum number of configurations that are good for the most number of opponents like we're pretty good right there's only two enigmas on that list the two enigmas were ribot and huge which happened to be two of the four remaining bots in that you know final four sort of deal uh and i need to post a picture of that at some point the the row for huge literally says wedge with a question mark so in a sense, I don't know if that counts as thinking ahead of time, but that's that's kind of the thought process. So when we after the immediately after the ribot fight, luckily we didn't have much damage. We went straight into we we whipped out the notebook and we started doodling, right? So we're doodling. I was like, all right, you know, Hugh just got these big wheels. I don't know what blade they're gonna use. They have the short blade. They have the really long blade. Um, you know, maybe they want to create space between us. Maybe they want to just monster truck and hit the hit the self-destruct button, as Jonathan had described. Uh, we don't know what they're going to do, so we need to have. If we want to block it, we need to be this high up, maybe. So we, that's why we raise the wedge uh, into the air. So if they use a shorter blade, we would be able to block it. But we can't block ourselves, so it can't be too high. Uh, when I was delivering the batteries after the fight from the ribot fight to the tent. You know, I came back and one of our teammates was missing. I was like, "Where's Eli?" And then Eli calls. He's just like a few, like a few minutes later. He's like, "Hey, I'm at Home Depot. I'm ready to buy some steel." And he just sends us a picture of the the random steel rack they have at uh, at the hardware store. 
So we're just like doodling very quickly and tell, telling Eli, okay, buy these things. And then we, we came back and we just started getting to work, just cutting off extra bits that we, we knew would be too heavy. Um, you know, preparing the painted stuff. You had to grind away all the paint so you have a good weld. Sending stuff over to the Lincoln tent. It was it was a buzz of activity. So we didn't actually start doing anything until after the Ribot fight. So it was all same day. We had a few hours to really get it in place. And the whole time, you know, there's there's a lot of eyes. It's the finals match, of course. Everyone's kind of looking for something to do. And we're just we just had people watching and asking questions and. I don't know. It, it was it was a lot of fun actually to come up with a solution on the fly. That's one of the things that the old combat robotics, you know, you had to be really kind of scrappy about it. I think these days, these days, uh, folks come very well prepared, so they have spares of everything. But being like in the old days, we used to be really scrappy. Like I used to, you know, I used to bring tin snips and some extra like random steel and just like cut some funny thing out and then tape it on the robot. And sometimes it would work. Uh, that used to be passable. Now, now it's not really passable in the competitiveness these days. But we came out with the with the with our huge configuration in really just a few hours, and we almost had time to paint it too. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna inject my own question here. Um, you know the the eyebrows, the uh, th- that flipped wedge configuration that you you said you brought into the Lincoln tent. You had welded back onto the bot. Uh, when you brought it in, the match starts. Uh, it's obviously working well. Uh, it's really arguable to say, even for the first 45 seconds, that it might have been working almost too well. And we got to see, you know, Sawblaze take a couple of really crazy lumps. Did you have a moment of being like, what have I done? Uh, I mean, you could see it on my face if they had a camera angle. Actually, I was not phased at all. So after every single one of those hits, the robot just gets tossed in the air. Uh, everything is still working. The wheels still run. The arm still runs. They didn't hit us on the blade. They didn't hit us on the arm structure. Everything is working great. As long as we have full function, that's the whole purpose. The purpose of that front of the wedge is to get the heck beaten out of it. So we're getting flipped through the air. I mean, really, if we can't you know, just absorb the hit and stay stationary, it's about absorbing energy. If we get flipped in the air, that's just one extra method that energy is dissipated from Huge's weapon. So it was a very effective way of taking energy out of that bar so we can get in close. Um, after, you know, there's one hit. Jonathan did an awesome job, by the way. You can tell he, he was turning the side using the, the wheels as a shield. He was doing that really effectively in the front in the first uh, 30 seconds of the fight. And that kept me from re-engaging as fast as I wanted to. So basically, I had to charge at to at him at full speed, uh, as weapon full speed. So when Sawblaze flew through the air, we actually went over Huge's wheel. I think like the highest part of Sawblaze was maybe like eight feet in the air, and I have some pictures of that. It's it's really crazy to see. We're higher than Huge. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, right. <laughs> later on. So after those first few hits, I was realizing, you know, he's going to keep doing that to me. I need to change my strategy a little bit. He's going to spin up to full speed, and I need to change my driving to bait him to stay there a little bit longer. So he's so instead of tr- charging in super hard, I started to like ease into the blade. So the robot is uh, draws sustaining sparks. We get rolled over, but we don't fly that far. 
so we can just dive straight into the blade instead uh, instead of getting kicked in a position because vertical spinners get kicked in you kick kicked all over the place you get disoriented then you have to recover and then you have to get back into it so this one the last hit that roll over was a very minor one which allowed us to get right back into the position that we wanted to get so you make all these micro adjustments when you realize this is how the robots are interacting so uh you know speaking of precise uh driving ability uh, i have a question here from dangle who writes do you think that the visibility of the arena may be a problem for precision drivers like yourself and could a top-down camera view help with uh help with removing blind spots uh that'd be really interesting to think about um you know our i mean if they want to dr move the driver stand to be above the robots they could be interesting to consider uh personally i'm always looking at the two robots in the arena so if i were to change my viewpoint to it like a side camera which had an overhead view i think it would take a lot of getting used to i don't you know we haven't had that in a while a lot of this is you know practice and muscle memory if the, if no other competitions want to try that out i think it'd be really interesting to see how teams would use that but i will say like there there are some really difficult portions of the arena to drive into the far corners obviously the shelf presents a problem you know if you're looking at the opposite side corner of the shelf but not in the corner but on the on the hidden corner of the shelf it's really hard for you to see especially if you have a small robot um the opposite corner you know uh opposite from your driver's stand on the near side is really hard to see you know you have to kind of have to lean into it and you know, if your opponent is also leaning into it because they're trying to see you can't really see either so and and, our, and Sables likes to pin people against the wall. Our own backside blocks our view, so you can't see you can't see where you're hitting. Also, there it's it's difficult. A top view entry that's very very interesting to think about. I would want a top view with the ability to enhance, enhance computer, <laughs> enhance. So I can <laughs> so I can zoom in onto the onto the two robots or something. So I have a question here from Nick Sacco, who wants to know, to put the little huge eyes on the eyelash attachments you added for that fight, did you go and ask Team Huge for them? And how did they feel about their own stickers getting used against them? <laughs> uh, you noticed that. That's great. I'm glad someone noticed that. Uh, the eyes spread that far apart. Maybe you feel like, what's that character? Is it Sid in Ice Age? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what creature he was. But the, the, the eyes are just so far apart. It was pretty funny. Uh, this did do. We did have to ask the huge team, uh, for a pair of stickers. Uh, at that point, I think they were pretty well prepared. They were they were just kind of hanging around, uh, discussing strategy, watching us put this silly thing together. Uh, so I th I think I don't I don't think it was too much of a bother to ask them for a sticker, but uh, I don't know. Is is it the power of the eyes? Did did we win by the power of the of the eyes? Well, hindsight is twenty. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was great. Ah, wow, what can I say? Huge sight is twenty twenty. Yeah, oh, it's probably it's probably a thousand thousand. Or is that real? That's really bad vision. I don't know. I don't know how those things work. <laughs> uh, all right, I have uh, a question here from James from Vegemol Robotics, who wants to know. How long was the time span between the end of the uh, the huge fight and the judges making their decision? This is like a little bit of behind the curtain. Ooh. Yeah, I don't remember. That's the short answer. After the fight, 
you know, they told us to do our little dances to demonstrate we had everything working. So we did that. And then once we put the controller down, because you always got to put the controller down first before you celebrate. Uh, we are celebrating that the thing did the thing. We're so happy that the that our modifications resulted in the robot not getting the crap beaten out of it, that we were just hugging it out. We were celebrating that it worked. Uh, you know, aside from whatever the match result is, we're just happy that the thing that we that we put together that evening was successful. So hopefully it would it would bring us victory. But you know, it was such a blur. We we were celebrating that it worked, uh, and then at some point I realized, oh yeah, that went three minutes. We should we should shape up because it's a judge's decision. So we all get in line and you know we're just you know standing around and you know Jonathan came over to to congratulate the good fight. That was really nice. Jonathan is just such an awesome guy. Uh, and only until we were standing there for a while did I realize that they actually had the judges in. So I was just kind of like looking forward. I didn't realize that the judges were going in. So I yeah. turned back and be like, oh, wow, they're they're going yeah. in. They're looking at everything. And, and, and James actually kind of followed up on that question by saying, what were the thoughts during that wait? And did the judges actually wanting to physically take a look at the box uh, make you – more or less confident that you were going to get the win. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say, I would say it would make me it would make me less confident because we all know how it looks that the amount of visible damage on saw blades on that front the wedge is it it got it's no longer at the same angle it's caved in. Uh, some teamwork between us and huge we cut it in half, so visibly it doesn't look super awesome for us that looks like a lot of damage but it also depends if they if they consider that to be functional or they want to call it cosmetic uh i was trying while we were putting this thing together i was trying to you know to tell mike jeffries the the the, the steward to, to communicate the purpose of what we were putting together is to take that this to take damage like that i don't know if the message got over there but you know, you could also consider that it's defensibility, which is part of the the damage uh, metric. That if you if your d defensibility is reduced, it, it's damage, right? And I think that's very very fair. That goes true for ablative armor or for any armor really. Uh, huge is damage. The belts, yeah, he's missing a lot of belts. There's damage to the frame, but I think that for for them, it was a lot of functional damage, which is harder to evaluate. You know, it did still work. The blade still spun. Uh, I don't know if one of their drive sides had gone down at the end. They were having a, a really hard time maneuvering at the end of the fight. So hopefully they they caught that. But uh, definitely, if you're looking at just, just visibility between the, just on appearances between the two robots, our damage looks much worse, I would I would say. So the fact that they're going in to look at it, you know, you're going, you're going, you're going to the arena to look at it, but you're, no, you're never going to see functional damage just by looking at the robots. So I hope that they caught all those details. And I was thinking, I really, I really hope that they caught every, all the function, post-functional tests at the end of the fight. Well, thank you, JMO. I'm going to hand things over to uh, our resident Sawbay here on the podcast, who is going to take you through some of our listener questions regarding the the big moment, the giant nut. So I will hand things over to Lindsay Bear. 
Hello, JMO. Congratulations again. Uh, this is very, very, very exciting uh, to have you on and to be able to talk about this. So thank you again. I know you must be exhausted from your trip to Vegas celebrating and everything in between. So again, thank you. Um, I am exceptionally excited to ask these questions about the giant nut um, because as Chris said, I, I'm going to self-appoint myself the biggest fan of Sawblaze, at least on the Behind the Pots <laughs> team. So, <laughs> um, no offense to Copperhead. Love you all. Um, <laughs> so, um, Cole Wilson, who runs Newbert at NHRL, uh, has a question that I think is on probably everyone's mind. Um, what was your first thought after you won the giant nut? Was it like, woo? or something else oh i mean it was pretty woo i like <laughs> i know that there's cameras running i don't know how much how much woo i'm supposed i'm allowed to have but i really i was really oh man i just just so just so happy i mean you gotta keep i don't know maybe you let the tears flow maybe you keep it inside i kept them inside i managed to keep them inside but um wow like i was i was describing at the height of, of the of the podcast it's just it it means so much to me, me personally, to have to to win the giant nut. I mean, it's a it's a definitely a huge team effort, and everyone, everyone, each each one of our team members has a different perspective on what it means to them. But but to me, it's it's like the alpha and the omega. It's, it comes comes full circle. So this is like all the years of really kind of doing anything. There's a lot of learning, whether it's the actual engineering. On a personal level, there's a lot of learning and growth. It all led to here. And so it's just really amazing to think about the past and everything you think was a bad thing, everything that was a good thing, it, it all summed up to this. And that's 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 how I felt. It's like this is this is now, isn't it? I love that. And I just love all of the um, positive emotion that was displayed, you know, really by your whole team throughout the entire season, like thinking back to Aaron Fan, um, who was emotional in the episode before about, you know, some of the things that he had been working on that panned out. Um, and then thinking about, you know, the judge's decision. Um, who I, I think you said her name was Sam, who was like clearly very emotional. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, having to be held up, like, you could just see how much this meant to everyone on the team. Um, and seeing that emotion come through, like, was incredible. Yeah. It, did you, like, Liam smiled, too. Did you see that? That's, a, <laughs> oh, I that's how that. emotional it was. <laughs> he smiled. Sam was very, very, very emotional. Um, Aaron, of course, uh, he's... Yeah, I mean, you know Aaron, of, of course, from NHRL and, uh, you know, all the hams and everything. He was absolutely instrumental, you know, to the success of Sawblaze this season. A lot of a lot of developments, a lot of hard work. Um, he spearheaded the wheel uh, with the wheel fixes, which is the reason actually the reason why he was uh, very emotional after the monsoon fight. Uh, I know the editing kind of cut it in a funny way, but we were talking about the wheels specifically. That was a big. Uh, unknown and literally pun intended our successes riding on those wheels so 
everything i mean we that was probably like a week long solution and every single hour of every single day was critical to getting a one pair done there's there's wow. trial and error in this and that that we kind of glossed over a little bit in the social media posts but the first set wasn't perfect right so that was actually no, the set number 2 and we were up against the wire like it was either going to succeed or it was not going to work and we're going to use it here and so it was amazing that it, it all came together they were perfect they took hits well yeah what a what a reason to be emotional you it just it just shows you how much how much heart he put into into Sawblaze as well i mean yeah in just an all-around great guy he he was there for me at some dark times in in the past year as well i have so much thanks that i, I want to give to aaron I, I will talk about him forever <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to have him on the show at some point because he delivered what i think is my favorite moment in all of nhrl which was the uh, post interview after uh, the tale of two hams fighting. What was it? Hype train. I think. Hype train. Um, and it's three hams. Yeah. Three hams. Wait, what did I say? Tale of two hams. Tale of two hams is oh also goodness. a robot that we I... made, but it's a different robot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a tale of three hams, of course, because it's three all connected to each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was uh, his post interview. Like literally every time I watch it, I laugh. Um, it's incredible. And uh, it's it's funny to see him go completely like from deadpan humor, like so serious <laughs> in that interview to, you know, like letting his emotions out. And I love that range. I, I love that. So um, I hope that uh, we can have him on on the podcast at some point soon. Oh, definitely. I mean, he, I, I that's why I, I was determined to, give him more microphone time because he's got those great post-fight interviews just like that. You know, I'm, I'm more of a very straight speaker. I, I just, I generally say I speak from the heart. So in, in a sense, I ramble really well. Uh, but, <laughs> but Aaron's responses are very well thought out and he really knows how to, how to hit all the points, you know? Oh, it's just, yeah, you should definitely bring him on. <laughs> love it um all right so our next question here is from your former college roommate donald sung um hey. who also runs torrential at nhrl so donald says congrats jmo love to see it i was tempted many times to ask you for spoilers but i refrained and here we are um my question is how did the team celebrate the big w uh what happens in vegas stays in vegas <laughs> We, uh, our team celebrated the big win by preparing for the next day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was a bit of a bummer. So my, my parents, uh, they visited for basically the, the tournament rounds. They missed the first fight, but they were there for monsoon until the, the very end. Uh, and they, they were like, ah, let's go, let's go celebrate. And, you know, I had to tell my mom, I was like, mom, we got to. We have the they have the champions tomorrow. Ah, uh, so we have to get ready against our opponent, and I'm not going to say who it is, but it, you know it's definitely worth preparing for. So we we just we had to go get the robot back together. You know it was uh, you know not not quite the celebration that 
we were we would have had. But honestly, you know, my team is uh, we're very driven. We're uh, definitely very driven towards the the goal, and we're also pretty relaxed. You know, I I you know I look at the opportunities that we had throughout the all the all the the two weeks of filming. I don't think we're the partying type, like the team overall. I think maybe at most we would have had like a cool dinner or something, or you know, just gone back to the Airbnb and you know, what what do we do after 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 a days of work? Like we we went home, we watched anime. This <laughs> team, we were watching that like spicy. What's that? That the hot wings interview? You know where they, oh, they have yeah. spicy things. Yeah, yeah, and we talked like about like beetle weights and stuff. We're just, we're just super chill. All right. You know what? I can appreciate that. And like, I don't know if people fully appreciate that. Um, The Golden Bolt is filmed concurrently. So uh, to the rest of the season. So, oh, man, just like how grueling must it be to, you know, have all of your focus on, um, you know, the round of 32 and making it through that. And then you finally do. And now literally you have to turn around and get your bot ready um, for its next match in a completely different tournament. Like that's uh, quite the whirlwind. So I would want to go back to the hotel and watch Hot hot Ones too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the Golden Bolt, right? It's all, it's all, the entire tournament is one day. So, you know, if you win, you're rewarded with, lot a lot 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 more work so we're thinking you know we just we have to prepare a bunch of stuff ahead of time so we're just that's why it took so much time we weren't able to uh to celebrate uh, a lot with my with my parents just like let's get it all done you know eye on the prize do the do the do the deal and then go to sleep so i don't think we i don't think we did anything fancy that evening i'm sure your parents were very very proud though Oh, they were. They absolutely were. Uh, they have been huge supporters of, you know, my combat robotics interests since I was little. They used to take me to all the events um, all across the state of Florida to fight robots, uh, including fighting Charles when we were younger. It was great. You know, they were to, to for them to be in the crowd when we won, I think was just as magical for them as it was for me. You know, it's, you know, it's investing in your kid's future. They're, they, they, they know that they helped, they they helped, uh, this is just as much a victory for them as as it is for us. And, you know, they are so happy. You've seen my, if you see my mom on social media, she's, she's talking about it basically every single day since, (laughs) since Thursday. So she's, she's very, very happy. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And yeah, like exactly like you said, a win for you is a win for them. And I'm sure it was uh, a huge moment. So, you know, let her let her uh, brag about you on Facebook for the next, uh, you know, 10 months if she wants. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think she asked me to send stickers home so she can give them out to her friends. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's so send sweet. me merch. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Thomas Carroll, who helps run pit control at NHRL, wants to know, how difficult is it winning the giant nut and not being able to tell anyone about it for many months? You know, um, yeah, it, it's it's very it's very difficult. Uh, folks always they, they try to get it out of you. But, 
I don't know. After so many years of BattleBots, I'm pretty used to keeping a pretty good secret. You know, I know even if it's not your fight, it's someone else's fight. If the fight was great, of course you want to talk about it, but you know you can. Uh, I'm pretty well practiced at keeping secrets. And, you know, also in my old line of work, there you are heavily penalized for, for giving away secrets. So I'm also very well practiced in that as well. I guess I really shouldn't say where I worked before. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, Colby Miles, who runs Mini Ironclad at NHRL, has a couple questions. Um, now that you've won the giant nut, what happens to it? Does it stay at your place in a trophy case? And uh, as a follow-up, uh, he has a couple others, which all kind of lend into itself. Um, does each member of the team get a giant nut or a mini version of it? Does the nut spend like a month with one team member, then gets passed to each team member after that? Or does it just sit at a trophy case at team headquarters? Well, right now, the giant nut uh, and the bolt are actually, they're living with me. They, they I, I didn't screw them into each other, but they, they're, they're just sitting on the same shelf uh, right beside the little TV stand that I made. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's difficult because we have teammates that are all over the U.S., you know, we our headquarters are here in Massachusetts. That's where our, our highest density of folks is. We have folks in Virginia. We have folks in California. Uh, and we have, you know, our flamethrower helper, uh, John Mayo, who's on Valkyrie this season. He's in Texas. So it's really hard for the, the giant nut to make its rounds so effectively. So, I mean, this is kind of like a, the first, obviously the first time the team has won the giant nut. Um uh, I don't know. I think that uh, I think that nice nice uh, trophies certainly for, and awards for the team is certainly warranted. Um, I don't know what they could be though. What's what is worthy of of giant nuts? You know what is what is worthy of the trophy of, of the giant nut trophy as a sub award? We'll just have to we'll have to see. I haven't thought about that one yet. That's a good question. I'm sure you've got some ideas. But uh, I won't press you on it. So. <laughs> uh, Tim Hebert, who runs Chubby Unicorn at NHRL, says, What an incredible East Coast Finals and a great win. The huge team gave you an amazingly cool trophy with their machined aluminum weapon pulley. What is the coolest battle trophy you've received in your many years of combat robotics, not limited to heavyweights? And then uh, what is the coolest one you've given away to another team? Ooh, what's the coolest one that we've ever gotten? And it's not just the heavyweights, huh? Not just the heavyweights. Um, I think the heavyweight ones are always the most impressive to me, just because the scale and the thickness of the metal that you know that that we get. Uh, I think our team's favorite trophy is probably the Minotaur bottom plate from season six. Uh, it has the gashes in it. It's it has all the fire marks on the other side. All the team members signed it as well. Uh, I don't, Minotaur didn't give us the bottom plate this year. They're probably like, you have one already. That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> the coolest one that we've ever given away. We gave away a lot of fork tips this year. There are a bunch of robots which broke broke the hardened tips on our forks. We actually gave an entire fork to Witch Doctor one time because in season six where they hit us kind of on the side, that 
that super powerful single tooth blade. It bit through one inch thick AR 500 and it, it bent the whole thing to heck. You know, we gave them that fork. Uh, they earned it for sure. That was an uh, impressive hit. I think that's the coolest one that we've ever given away. We gave away a, a, a diamond blade to Bronco one time. They, they bent it like a taco when we landed on it. <laughs> um, Let's see what else have we given away. Mm-mm-mm. I think those are the coolest ones. Yeah, we gave away a lot of small pieces. Uh, win or loss, you, you usually have something you can give to the other team. That's uh, pretty cool. I have to say, when Copperhead uh, beat Riptide in this last match, I was hoping that uh, they'd be able to secure that uh, broken piece of the uh, egg beater. <laughs> um, oh, you that... didn't get it? No, no. Oh. Yep. Well, maybe it'll end up on eBay or something. Yeah, yeah. Then we'll just, uh, you know, have to buy it, buy it back ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that does remind me of uh, when we fought Son of Waiachi and we cut some of the tie rods. I mean, I wouldn't ask for the whole rotor arm, but I was hoping to get one of those tie rods, like a section of it. It would, yeah. but they, they included it in the auction for the the hammer arms that they have eventually sold off. So, no, I I understand it. It's for completeness, but at the same time, it would have been pretty cool. We didn't we didn't have anything from the Son of Wachi fight, which I think it, at that point was probably the biggest fight of our career. Following uh, back in season four, yeah, that fight is probably one of my top five favorite matches in BattleBots. Like I, that one is so fantastic. Uh, I'm sad to hear you don't have a piece of it, but uh, I guess I guess I understand. Um, so, uh, we, uh, briefly mentioned the golden bolt. So we have a question here from Alex pick who runs Zane and NHRL. Um, and he says, you're now in the golden bolt tournament with Endgame and tantrum last time, the previous nut winners all fought each other, which orange bot were you hoping to get an opportunity to take revenge on? <laughs> well, okay. So if we had the chance to have to fight those guys, uh, here are our goals. Um, for Tantra, would be to win because they they pretty handedly embarrassed us that that time we fought. Uh, so we'd love to, you know, if we can get a fork under them and then and then hit them a few times, I think we'll consider that a personal victory. And for end game is to stay in the arena for three minutes, which usually is not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, those I don't think those goals are too lofty. I mean, they're they are both champions. They're former champions. Uh, it's it, it won't be easy no matter what. An end game puts up an impressive ground game, uh, similar to Hydra, which you know, contrary to the belief, Sawblaze does not have a problem with flippers. They have a problem with people who are lower than Sawblaze. <laughs> That's the common feature, guys. It's not flippers. A vertical spinner will do it too. We don't have a problem with big vertical spinners. We beat those as well. It's people who get underneath Sawblaze. Because like similar to Hydro, we need we need to be underneath them to attack. So they have an impressive ground game and uh that will always be a challenge for us. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I could see um a scenario where you fight Hydra, like had you been able to get under them, like their whole their whole top would have just uh, been busted. So I did not see it as a, a flipper problem either. Just, I mean, it's hard to get under them. Their, their ground game is so good, Hydra. It was very, very good. Um, and, you know, watching it again, there's a few little maneuvers 
which were semi-unintentional, which worked out really well. I still am pretty insistent about not going backwards with the blade because then he's just going to break the arm faster by launching into it. Um, but there's a few kind of sweeping maneuvers that I observed later on when we had uh, decreased mobility, which act ended up working really, really well. So there's a few other things that we were to rematch with Hydra in the future that I'd like to try different driving strategies. And now that we have the wheels for it and we have the, you know, ground enhancement strategy that we were able to implement later in the season, we should have the agility to actually keep up with the maneuvers that I want to do. So it would definitely give Hydra a harder time if we were to fight them in the future. I would uh, love to see that rematch myself. Um, I'm so, sure Jake wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we have some general Sawblaze design questions um, from some of the fans out there. So Mitch Sullivan, who runs Purple People Eater at NHRL, asks, could you explain how the arm mechanism on Sawblaze works? Is there software acting as a limiter? clutch or something else yeah so the the arm uh let's see how to how to describe the construction of it let's say the center pivot has a shaft which is home for a lot of different things the arm of course pivots on that shaft but it also houses that like an intermediate pulley sheave so it transfers the transfers the torque from a motor that lives on the chassis to that pulley sheave then to another uh, pulley, which is which has the blade on it. So that means for every position the arm is at, the blade can rotate. You know, um, it, you know that works out pretty well. It's necessary for us to keep the motor off the arm because the shock would probably kill the motor, unfortunately. Now, how does the arm control work? Uh, it's all open loop. We don't have feedback control in terms of velocity or position or anything like that. We are uh, duty cycle with current control. So in the event that we do bottom out on the front or the back, we, you know, it's within the realm of human reaction time to not burn up the motor. Uh, and we do, uh, we don't have a clutch because I was, we're not able to uh, implement the mechanical clutch success successfully. I don't like friction clutches. Uh, they, they're, they have their own reliability issues. I think they're, they're very finicky. So we have shock absorbers inside the chain drive, uh, the sprocket, which, so when we, when we hit something on either end, that uh, it has a little bit of give and doesn't stress the mechanical components too much. We need to work on that a little bit more, but it's worked out pretty well for most of our fights. We get pretty good lifetime out of it. Nice. And then uh, Mitch says, are there plans for the future to ever be able to use the flamethrower effectively as in do some amount of damage slash burning with it. What do you mean it's not effective? I'm just yeah, kidding. come on, Mitch. Uh, <laughs> it's a hot flame, but all the robots are metal. And, you know, it's it's difficult to get the fire out in a location, which is going to do a lot of damage. We used to have it on the arm. So slash and burn was really cool because we can cut a slit open and then breathe fire into it. Uh, it's been shoulder mounted now just because it's, you know, for for the arm design, we're no longer routing wires onto the arm, so we don't want to route fuel onto the arm either. Um, we do have we did have a design, uh, do did whatever. Uh, we call them the fire forks, where we actually have uh, the fuel piped through the middle of the forks with small holes, 
and the idea is that uh, we light basically the first the first uh, pilot hole on the fork, and just because of the proximity of of those holes, it lights the all the subsequent ones. So you essentially end up with this sort of linear grill thing. So imagine Sawblaze's fork with a wall of fire coming out along its length. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it might not be as hot. I think it, there's a lot of factors depending, but at least it's going from the bottom. So now you're roasting from the bottom. So we have a top attack and a bottom attack and, you know, heat rises. So it's actually a really good spot to put fire on the bottom. So we haven't implemented the fire forks in any of our fights just because the tier of robots these days is so incredible that it might be a bit of a liability to the durability of the forks. So we actually haven't run them in a fight. Huh. But the design has been there. That is pretty cool. I'd love to see that. I feel like uh, it would also look pretty badass. <laughs> oh, for sure. The testing videos were awesome. Like credits to John Mayo for doing that testing. I, I'm sure he would love to see it in battle someday. So uh, Trent Sheether asks, uh, is there a walkthrough video of the inside workings of Sawblaze on video somewhere? I'd love to see how it all comes together to remain so reliable after taking such big hits. Uh, we actually do not have a, a walkthrough video of the internals of Sawblaze, but I will say that uh, Zach visited Sawblaze headquarters uh, and did a a video on you know, he does his Champions video series, right? He did one for Paul. He did one for, for Ray and Tombstone. He did one for Endgame in the pit this year. And he did one for us. And we talk about a few things which have contributed to Sawblaze's success. So whenever he gets around to posting that video, definitely check it out. It might answer the questions that you have. Cool. I uh, I look forward to seeing that. Um, All right. So Chad from Team Death Invaders wants to know, what is your personal favorite setup that you've put together for Sawblaze? Oh, uh, personal favorite as in configuration? Yeah. Uh, I like the Sawblaze Classic, personally. I mean, it's it's got a lot of good things going for it. I mean, it's Maybe it's not the most novel one, but it's really effective, and it looks super cool. So that's our three forks. We've got our, you know, the, the newer forks that have the replaceable tips on it, and they're also shock-mounted on the end, so they absorb blows really well. And I also love the center fork being slightly off. You know, it's all, it's not symmetric. And I, I love it because it bothers people. <laughs> <laughs> I get so many comments like, when are, the, when are the four forks coming back? Why is the center fork not in the center? Is it supposed to be on the left side or the right side? And um, I don't know. It just makes me laugh so much. That's hilarious. <laughs> The, the whole robot's not symmetric, so it's, you know, a, the forks are the probably the most characteristic thing to observe, of course, but, you know, the flamethrower is not in the center anymore, or I don't think it ever was, actually. And uh, the blade, the arm isn't symmetric either. There's a lot of asymmetry on Sawblaze. It's not nearly as uh, justified as, like, Riproni, for example, but we do have a reason why the fork isn't dead center. I just think it's funny that that's what people gravitate towards. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, and the reason is not just to mess with people watching at home. No, it's it's a, it's actually a really good reason. It's so we don't hit ourselves. Because ah. <laughs> the blade goes in the middle. The reason is so we don't hit ourselves. It's actually a really <laughs> good reason. Uh, 
That explains it. It's just off to enough to the side that it doesn't run into each other. Doesn't it? Doesn't it doesn't hit the blade, and it's far enough apart so that we can actually get the nuts on if we need to put two center forks. If they're too close together, then we can't put the hardware there. So it's actually a really, really good reason. Don't hit yourself. Truer words have not been said. Probably the best reason of all. Yes. Because <laughs> in the past we did, we have actually hit ourselves, and uh, we Oops. do a lot of damage. So. Yeah, keep keep that on your opponent, not not on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so Hanroy asks, uh, I remember there is a lot of experimentation with wheel adhesion. How much more wheel refining do you see happening in uh, the future for Sawblaze or Megatron? Yeah, the wheel adhesion. So uh, he's referring to some of the, the media that we put out in trying to find that wheel solution. So when we were having those abrasion issues, we, were, we thought about a bunch of different solutions for that, one of which was to actually take like a rubberized glue, like E6000 or Goop, and just coat the wheel on it and basically create an extra layer. And we could keep applying that because you can buy that stuff at the hardware store. So every fight, you could just reapply it. We had had a really hard time getting it to stick to the, the natural rubber, the Brazil wheel natural rubber. So what we end up doing is we found a company which did uh, abrasion-resistant polyurethanes and they actually had this primer compound which is built directly for sticking natural rubber to polyurethane which is perfect so we 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 dressed up the wheel and then we put the primer on and then we did the actual actual coating and so it would stick pretty well uh it worked really well until it gets hit right yeah it's hard it's hard to say most things don't don't uh stand up to a minotaur hit like period so (laughs) <laughs> I'll give the wheel a break there. Well, are we gonna do any more upgrades to the wheels? Uh, yeah, that's something we've been testing in the in the in the off season now. We got a head start on some of our custom wheel fabrication, and actually, uh, I'm looking at a bunch of our hand our prototypes, not handmade, our professionally made prototypes right now that uh, we're hopefully gonna go put on the the asphalt soon and see how they work. Ooh, fun. Um, okay, so we have now some questions uh, where people are looking to the future of Sawblaze, um, future of BattleBots, some hypotheticals. Uh, the first one is from Vineboom with an interesting question. Um, with Sawblaze finally winning the nut, are you going to keep refining it, or do you have plans for some other bot ideas that you want to bring to the BattleBox? Yeah, well, that was actually a, a really good question. You know, we had considered as a team, you know, do we want to try and go the seems reasonable or Yachi route or bots FC route and try to like field two robots? We can keep Sawblaze classic, try to maintain it as it currently is, and to you know bring a new design just to just for our, our own uh, engineering interests or possibly even to give uh, another teammate some more spotlight time as a team captain. Uh, we we talked about these things and then the you know what the team really got down to is Sawblaze still isn't a perfect machine. A bunch of stuff did actually break on it, and so there's more that we could we could do to further its design and uh, you know our own our own interests as well. Just to get these these like little challenges you know that are in in the design they're still there and they're still very fascinating. And if we had two robots, we were worried about uh, dividing our attention amongst these two machines right now we have a great dynamic where 
we're all very focused on sawblaze and we know exactly what we need to do. If we had to do two robots, it might get a little bit too hectic. So currently what we're thinking is that we just want to fix those issues on sawblaze and uh, continue to field the same robot. If, you know, if we'll, we'll go on a season by season basis and decide if there's something new that we want to make. But a lot of uh, ideas, you know, unless we're going to do some, some of the more crazy ideas that I, my teammates have done in the smaller weight classes, you know, they're, they're pretty well, pretty well uh, flushed out by now. So I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll think about an answer for that next season. But right now, it's Sawblaze 24-7. I kind of had a feeling that was going to be the answer. Uh, I feel like you and, and the rest of the team are kind of such, like, striving for perfection all the time that uh, until Sawblaze is, like, you know, the uh, literal best it could be, I feel like you're going to keep chasing that, which is what makes, like, your team so great. <laughs> oh, I don't know, maybe... Maybe the answer, maybe we want to win enough giant nuts to get Paul to come back. <laughs> to threaten his legendary status. Maybe, maybe that's what we need to do. That could be an interesting I love poll. it. <laughs> Paul, if you're listening, the, the challenge is on. Um, all right. So we have uh, a question here from Samuel Grashoff. Um, which robot, a.k.a. Tombstone, Endgame, Tantrum, uh, who beat you in the past? Would you like to fight again? And if so, what would you do differently? Hmm. I would like to fight. Personally, I would like to fight Tombstone. Uh, we are a completely different robot than when we fought last time. We didn't have the hammer saw. Uh, the welds that were on that wedge that he beat up were mine, and I didn't know how to weld back then. So I think <laughs> it'll be a completely different robot when he fights it this time. And, you know, I, I would look forward to challenging the legend himself. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Ray and his machines. Tombstone, in my mind, is still that hard-hitting champion robot, uh, even if it if it, even if it's had some rough goes in the, in the past season. I'd still love to have that rematch and uh, really, really show what Sawblaze, modern Sawblaze can do. So I hope you're up for the challenge, Ray. Ray, if you're listening... <laughs> you're, we're just gonna go through all yeah. the i'll say something to you aaron i don't know uh and 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 uh and dylan and alex and ginger i'll think of something to say to you guys too <laughs> aaron catling if you're listening <laughs> there's a lot of challenges oh no 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, um well yeah let's say if there's a season eight right and and ray is able to come back uh i will tell aaron catling right now i would like to fight tombstone in the qualifiers we'll see if he makes it happen i think the fans would love to see that too so fingers crossed um alex pick is back with some more questions uh he says i can't help but notice that there has been an articulating spinner in the finals for the last three years of BattleBots. as one of the pioneers of articulating spinners what do you see as their future and why have they been successful as they are, despite there being so few? Um, and which articulating spinner is next to go this far? Um, hmm. You know, actually, you know, if I were to really break it down, honestly, first of all, we are a saw. Um, I'll fight, I'll fight that one until the end of time. We are, we are designed for you to be a cutting blade. I guess it is still a, a spinning 
robot as uh, in in that in that sense. But we are we are not a vertical spinner. We are a cutting blade. Uh, why? What is the the common theme of our success? I honestly think that if you don't have a powerhouse weapon, like uh, like Bite Force and Tombstone Endgame, they have powerful weapons and they have a a, a very good control of the ground. You're making it up in drivetrain. So we look at I think the robots he's referring to the past three years. That's Whiplash, uh, Tantrum, and ourselves. Is that right? Yeah, that that seems right to me. Yeah, so I think we're making it up in, in the drivetrains. So we're exercising that control aspect a lot more than the raw power of our weapons. And it, it's honestly, it's very difficult. Um, we always feel like we're fighting this uphill battle against the against the meta, per se. All these robots are, they're so powerful in a single mistake. You know, these vertical spinners, they, they can disorient you with a single hit. You go flying through the air, and you know, hopefully you don't end up in a corner. You'll get targeted some more. There's so many instances where I've seen this season uh, robots get essentially thrown into corners, and they get they get teed up for the next hit. It really is a snowball effect. So to be successful, you have to be almost flawless, and there's a ton of pressure associated with it. I don't necessarily believe that we're seeing a shift in the meta. But the robots, which are the robots and teams, which will succeed, they succeed with a lot, a lot of hard work. So all these teams that make it that far are definitely some really hardworking teams. This actually um, is the perfect segue to the next question from BattleBot BattleBot Superfan Alexander Archer, um, and you kind of just touched on it, but he asks it a little bit more directly. Um, do you think the direction of the BattleBots meta has definitely changed? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's changed uh, like I was answering before. I guess we'll have to see in the next few years what creative designs come out of the the result of uh, of this final. What are people's conclusions? I would love to see more interesting weapons for sure. I I, I hope that one takeaway people have for our victory is that articulation is really cool so yeah we can attack over the top uh but also like in the blip fight did you guys catch that we can throw the arm very quickly to to change to make the robot hop like we can shift the cg to get more effect we can add ground we can add traction to our wheels by lifting the arm when we're underneath somebody Uh, yeah it's there's so much stuff you can do with a robot that has way more degrees of freedom and it's also really cool to watch. It's so dynamic. It's interesting, and it doesn't look like you know the, some of the robots you used to see on the on the show from Comedy Central or from the early stages of even the Discovery stuff. I hope that people are encouraged to do more things that move a lot more. It's all it is a risk. People don't do it because it's more things that could break. It's more expensive, you know, this or that. It could get in the way. It, but it is, it's it's really awesome. And it changes your ability, it changes your strategy, what you can bring into your fights. You know, if we didn't have the articulation on the arm, I don't think our strategy would have would have worked. It wouldn't work anywhere as good against Huge as it did. It was completely necessary. I think we were the only robot that could have stopped them, honestly. Yeah, I, I think that's a great answer. Um, 
BattleBot Superfan Writer Lee Engel has some good questions as well. Um, first thing, congrats on that giant nut. Sorry in advance if I'm asking too many questions. Um, but his first is, you've won many golden dumpsters and now the giant nut. Is there anything in this sport you still feel like you need to accomplish that you haven't done already? Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, that that is a fantastic question. What is next? Um, well, for for in my opinion, uh, well, okay, I'll give you the cheeky answer. There's still the golden bolt, um, and Sable is still lost <laughs> in the qualifiers. So there's always room for improvement. But you know, it it is really difficult to make to to keep Sable's continual improvement going. So I think we're going to have to set new goals for ourselves. Uh, to really to, to, to look forward and see like what's the next thing and in my mind i f- i feel incredibly satisfied i feel very happy with the fact that we were able to win the giant nut this year and so what what would be what would be beneficial i i, I look at like what can what can i do for everyone else is kind of where my head is at so i'm not exactly sure what that would take you know if that's more involvement in the community if that's resources or if i want to join the ranks of many other bot builders who have sought sort of this you know kit commercialization thing i have opinions on kits i think they're really great i think they also do there's there's good things and bad things about them but coming out with something along those lines which could be compatible with what's currently available as an educational tool or a get started Ooh. tool there's so much that can be done and that's, that's that's currently where my head is at. That's a great answer. Um, and kind of, you know, uh, feeds into this next question a little bit um, when you're talking about, you know, the community. Um, so writer says you're very active in the NHRL discord. Um, and there was lots of discussion on predictions and speculation. How many laughs did you get from the predictions while knowing what you knew? <laughs> well, yeah, the team we talk about the predictions that we that we read, it was it was kind of surprising, you know. It's surprising, but also kind of nice. Um, I felt like we flew under the radar. It's not to say that people didn't think Sawblaze was good, but they thought everyone else was so much better. Um, round of thirty-two. Oh, Sawblaze is gonna lose the blip. Like how many times have I heard that? They're weak to flippers. They're gonna lose. Oh, and then like Monsoon came off of a massive upset of Cobalt. Like and they beat Salve's before. Monsoon's gonna win. No way Salve's can do it. And then there's uh, Minotaur is undefeated. They're like the champ. It's their time. Minotaur is gonna beat Salve's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I read so many of those. It was so interesting. But the, the it's interesting that the polls reflected differently. So like all the Salve's fans were really quiet, I guess. Uh, but it was kind of cool. We we kind of flew under the radar. The the Reddit polls said we had a 10% chance of winning the giant nut. Uh, Wow. We were, uh, let's we'll say there were eight robots. We were actually somewhere on the bottom. Yeah, you know, I think um, the the only two robots that were predicted below us, unfortunately, I'm sorry, it was Copperhead and Ribot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were not we were not predicted to to win the giant nut. Huge was up there. Huge and Minotaur, I think, were top. Uh, so we kind of flew under the radar. So we, we, we had a lot of internal chuckles with the team and be like, man, we need to we need to work on our PR or something. But uh, I don't know. It's I, I like to think of it as a little bit more humility than that. 
we don't want to we don't want to brag about ourselves uh you know you, you get the job done you speak positively about your about your your team your opponent you know when you have the opportunity to 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 when you get the spotlight when people put the microphone in front of you the words that you should use are the ones that uplift other people because the the world will recognize your achievements by itself so use your opportunity for others and not for yourself. I love that. And we we kind of discussed this on the episode last week. Um, I was trying really hard all season not to really say much about Sawblaze because I was so self-conscious that I wouldn't let something slip. Um, so I didn't really, you know, make a big deal out of your run like I probably normally would have. Um, but finally, last episode... Um, I think I said something along the lines of like, um, Sawblaze is just always so consistent and so reliable and always so like you just expect the level of performance from your team that you deliver because that's what you've, you know, come to show us. Um, and almost I feel like sometimes that that level of um reliability kind of hurts you narrative wise somehow like the producers don't focus on that for some reason and they just go like wherever the biggest hits are happening um but like i i yeah i don't know i don't really know i i get that that's I, that makes a lot of sense like they want to they want like something sensational right yeah and what's there's nothing sensational about the same thing happening like oh, we expect Sablays to do well. They're doing well. Well, headline, not right. really. <laughs> you know, so that makes a lot of sense. I don't, I don't, I don't blame them at all, or I don't blame anybody really. So we're we're just we're just doing what we do. We we uh just uh, trying to do our best, trying to make make our sponsors happy, or make our parents and teammates and all that. It's you know we're just we're just doing what we do. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I don't think uh, at, at the end of the day, I don't think uh, anybody was surprised. I think like the writing was there on the wall the whole time that like this was what Sawblaze could accomplish, and you you finally did. And uh, like you know, like you said, all all the work, all the good, all the bad, kind of led up to that moment. So, um, all right, one more question here from writer. Um, I might end up starting a debate in the community with this question, but BattleBots is the event with a ton of history and a TV deal, while NHRL is one of the most competitive and fastest growing events in the sport. Which one is the big number one premier event in the sport of robot combat, in your opinion? Oof, that's a big one. Oh. Oh, man. Wait, is it the. You gotta start a debate. You're gonna like. I'm going to get uh, torches and pitchforks from both sides. <laughs> yeah. there's, I don't think there's any winning on this one. Um, you know, I think I think at this point, that, that's how I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to say at this point, for me, it's I think BattleBots still is the premier. And, you know, NHRL is accessible. Um, and it, it, I think it is a lot more... Uh, it's a lot more clear about the, the direction of the portrayal of all the, the teams and everything. It's very, it's very positive. It gives a lot of opportunities to everyone. Uh, but the, the audience, the wide reach of BattleBots, I think still is something that, that kind of gives it that premier edge. 
because it has that TV facing audience. So and and the name of of course. So maybe people aren't aware that they there actually is a new season even after seven seasons. Come on, guys. Right. Come on. What are you doing? Uh, people refer to the Comedy Central days, and they'll they'll speak very fondly of it. It's what it's it's the the name that people know, and I think that's what grabs. But that's what pulls people in. Uh, I think at this point, maybe maybe the the demographic is different. They might actually uh, competitors might actually say, "I heard about NHRL before BattleBots." That might be that might be different these days. But in the old days, let's say ask any of the competitors who have been doing this for a while, "How did you hear about robot fighting?" It's like, "Oh, I watched BattleBots." Yeah. You know. So maybe I'm slightly biased in that sense because I'm part of that generation which watched the old BattleBots. So in my mind, BattleBots is what got me into it. But that that may very well change because NHRL, you know, they they do really well on social media. They have like the the website and the wiki. They built a community in the Discord, and of course YouTube live streams. It's so accessible. Maybe it's maybe that would change in the next few years. But for me, I'm gonna say BattleBot still. I think that's a very valid answer. Um, so Mitch, uh, Sullivan is back again with another question. If you were to change one thing about the BattleBots format or competition wise, what would you change? All right. He's trying to, you know, get you in a little more hot water, maybe. Yeah. Is this going to be more shelf opinions or kill saw slots? Let's <laughs> add more kill saw slots. Um, <laughs> I think it'd be interesting to see terrain, you know, if if they introduce terrain, the different floors, there's obviously a lot of challenges. Sawblaze would also not be viable anymore, not to the extent that it currently is. But it would, you know, we gotta have a few different changes to, uh, to the playing field of the rules. Perhaps I think that would be to spice things up a little bit. Uh, but what is something that I'd really, really want to see? What do I want to see in the sport? Mm-hmm-hmm. See, I talked about art, like more articulation. I don't know if that's a rule set that I can really push for. That's a really tough question. That is. I mean, a really, I think really terrain is pretty cool. Yeah, um, it, I think that would that would change the designs a lot. Maybe everyone would got would go the hypershock route, really bouncy tires. <laughs> yeah, that their forks don't ride the floor perfectly. They're pretty low, but they're they're compliant, so they can move around a little bit, but. You would end up with a lot, potentially a lot more uh, dynamic robots with high ground clearance to uh, to dodge all that. It could be really interesting to watch. It would definitely change a, a lot, I, I would imagine, about uh, the the general design of these bots. I'd be kind of curious to see if they want to integrate. I know it would be less on the battle of the battle bots side of things, but almost to gamify the arena. So what if you, you know, like old shows like Robotica had obstacle courses and point scoring systems that were separate from the actual combat uh, portion of it. But if you had a battle arena and additional ways to score kind of points, let's say, let's say you had the direct fighting of two robots, but you also had this sort of defend the target sort of thing or attack the target, you know, depending on obviously what, what side you're on. So you have to try to battle the opponent, but also to defend uh, something on your side could be kind of interesting. So maybe maybe you aren't the strongest robot. It, maybe it would uh, 
break up this kind of ground battle stalemate that's going on because you don't need to go for the opponent you go for their target and you can whittle whittle them down you can score points by being maneuverable versus being the lower robot you know for example could be something interesting to think about yeah yeah and i know like it's still battling (laughs) yeah absolutely and i i feel like um that conversation has kind of been floating around at least like the fans over NHRL is something that they would like to see is like a supplemental league or, um, you know, something that you can do, uh, in a different cage, like during the main event. Um, but I think it would be really interesting to kind of see how that would play out. Cause it's a completely different strategy. You would need, you know, different types of bots, um, different types of armor. I think that'd be a really cool challenge. Um, but we, I have one more question before I hand you over to Luke. Um, and this is from Ben Moak, who is perhaps the biggest uh, Sawblaze fan on earth. Um, well, you're going to have to compete with him for the, for the Sawblaze though, or you could join with him because he is the leader of the Sawblaze. You know what? I feel like he has earned that title he is the sole Sabe, and I can just, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I, I uh, appreciate him, and I will be a Sabe underling <laughs> in the hierarchy of uh, Sabe. <laughs> um, but he wants to know: uh, Will there ever be a two hundred and twenty pound Sablaze at Robo Games? Mm. Sab, uh, heavyweights are two fifty now at Robo Games, aren't they? I, yeah, that's. I think so. Yeah. So. So, are you gonna bring Sawblaze to Robo Games? I, I, don't, I guess I don't know. It's it's uh it's very far. It's a ton of work, and you know, Robo Games. I think the since we have all these BattleBots competitors now, it's it's really really tough. I mean, earlier this year what was it Manta just destroyed everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And and BattleBots helps like at least compensates. Uh, they they help out for sure. And I think I I'm looking at some of the damage that they caused to like Banana Runt and 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 Malice, and I was like, man, that's a lot of that's a lot of damage. Uh, I think if we if I brought something, if the team brought any sort of sawblaze, it would be the old parts. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. You know, yeah, just to, we have we have old parts at this point. Uh, we can build an old sawblaze. It would be very fun to drive, but if it got mangled and, you know, went to a dumpster instead of back into our crate, it would probably wouldn't be such a big deal. <laughs> Clear out some space at the uh, the uh, workshop, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, currently we are we are uh, starting our our eBay auctions to help fundraise for the next season, and that is also helping us with with the amount of. Uh, parts that we have in in the in the space so definitely check it out <laughs> awesome um and i don't know if it is ben who said this or someone else but i feel like i've definitely seen people on reddit or maybe nhrl saying that when sawblaze wins the giant nut they're getting a sawblaze tattoo so for anyone out there who does that uh send us photos <laughs> oh boy i would love to see this as well all right, I will uh, now send you on over to Luke. Thanks again, JMO, for talking with us. Yeah, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. 
Hello, Jameson. Uh, congratulations. I feel like it uh, couldn't have happened to a better builder. I am so absolutely happy for you, happy for the sport, um, just because I feel like you embody so many of these wonderful traits that we find in the community, uh, ingenuity, intelligence, uh, ability to persevere, work through a problem, and um, help out new builders and really inspire kids and the whole thing. I am just absolutely happy that uh, you are the reigning BattleBots champion. So uh, first off, congratulations from me. Um, I do want to ask you questions about my absolute favorite topic, which is NHRL. Uh, we got a lot of NHRL questions. Um, so we're going to start off with uh, one of my favorite builders from NHRL, Kakoto Mane, who runs Serial Killer. Uh, he writes, hello, JMO. Congratulations on winning the giant nut. However, you are no stranger to winning big in robot fighting events, and NHRL is the perfect example of this. Exactly how many golden dumpsters have you won to date? Oh boy, um, that's a that's a that's a great question, and I'm ashamed that I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Uh, I'm staring currently at my my little trophy shelf. I count five up there, so there's at least that, and that's not including the Brett side. The golden Brett is next to it. <laughs> it's more than five i know that it's more than five it's got to be it's i i think you're close to 12 i have to look at my my I, i've got a little sheet of all of these um but i think it's a that's a very funny answer because uh there are people who uh would just die if they want a single one and you have an uncountable number so uh congratulations i guess there um i i am <laughs> also you. one of them i would i would die if i want a single golden dumpster like not even a golden brett like i'm not smart enough for that but uh yeah, if I, if I had one, I would uh, I would know exactly how many I had. <laughs> so oh, don't, there don't you discount go. yourself. I don't think it's about intelligence. You know, it's about perseverance. I don't. I okay. don't consider myself to be the. I give up so easily, JMO. Oh, I, oh, it's just. Well, I, just I need to egg you on more. I need to support <laughs> you. All right. Good. All right. Good. That's, I always uh, think that's that perfect. there's there's lots of people who are smarter than me. I just stick with it and I try to learn the lessons when when they're handed to me. Sometimes they're handed to me as a pile of parts. Uh, but it's, that's why I love the small weight class. It's, a, it's such a rapid learning experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really true. Um, we, we have, we have got a good question here from horizon team member, Alan Belkin, um, and who asks which tournament or match win has meant the most to you across your entire career, not just BattleBots, but, um, but across your entire career, do you have a win that, um, or a tournament that really stuck out for you as something that you remember fondly and think about. Wow, I think the there's a lot of really awesome matches that I've, I'll just never forget. We we talked at length about the huge Sobways fight, and obviously that's special because it it is the giant nut match, right? Uh, I also think about the uh, the finals match with Sobways and or sorry not Sobways, but uh, Megatron and Emulsifier 30, and that was, I thought that was that was just an incredible fight of back and forth. I mean, they beat me the first time, and then we had to win twice uh, to to essentially get the the golden Brett. And every single engagement, we're just so on edge. The blade of Emulsifier is massive, and it's just spinning in the face of Megatron. That was such an, an awesome match to to fight and to rewatch uh that was amazing uh, 
you know, actually one of the fights that I never forget as well is actually from my very first competition ever in 2004. And I love telling this story because it's definitely this sort of really scrappy kid, never give up sort of attitude. Uh, my first robot was uh, also a dustpan style robot. You know, I was maybe in, in the range of 10 years old, so I didn't make a spinning anything. It had this uh, nail on the end of a aluminum L channel attached to a servo, and it would just kind of like peck at people. You know, the, it's like the, the the aggressive tapping robot. It would capture you and then and then tap away, and it you know definitely isn't threatening. But you know, dangerous spinners and the beetle weights weren't they they weren't nearly as as crazy as they were back then. I somehow made it to the finals to fight um, uh, Michael Emerson. Uh, and he built beetle weights in sort of the old VDD style, which is the carbon fiber rods, and it had a, a massive spinning blade. I think it was an edger blade that he ground these hooks into the the edge. So it was really it had a really nice bite. And my sheet metal body was just like zinc plated steel from ducting that was that stuff taped onto it and everything. And that we fought, he was ripping chunks off of it. The, the tape didn't help, didn't hold against the, an edger blade, you would have guessed. And it's like the armor panels were flying off, and then he catches the front lip of the dustpan, which is actually a, a solid body, and he gets stuck because he has those sharpened hook ends. And then uh, we get stuck together because he's in, is jammed in there. But his uh, his blade, his his robot, he smokes it out because it it jams up his robot, and then it just it just kind of starts smoldering and burning. And then so by this process of cannot continue, I end up winning my first wow. competition. Wow. And it's just it's it's like the, the things that you really remember, it's it's really crazy. That was so such a long time ago, I can almost recall it clear as day. But uh, everyone at that event, this is in Florida, the Bay Area Robot Fights or BARF for short, <laughs> uh, was so incredibly so incredibly nice. I think that they they recognize that you know this this kid has a a future and they were they were really fostering my my bring up into combat robotics. Also present there were folks like um, Matt Spurk from Kraken, uh, Hal Corum. He was on he did some BattleBots for a while. I think he's getting back into it now from Team Pyramid. Uh, Alex Grant, a different one from the Tantrum one. He helped out on Bale Spear and he's also built a bunch of robots for. It's crazy. These these people are all still in the community, and they helped me uh, with that win and with the rest of you know everything is history. So yeah, that one's a very special win for me as well. That's huge. Um, and I just have to say, it, it doesn't surprise me that uh, you know you started winning early. Uh, you know, I, it's it's funny. Oh, the like times I, were different. That that robot wouldn't have won to any any local competition these days. <laughs> It was a, it's a different game. It's it's funny, like I, I go up into the pits at NHRL today and I, I meet the ten year old kids who are starting out with their first robot and I'm looking at them and I'm like, There is so much thought and care that went into this robot and when you talk to them about their theory behind the robot, I'm like, This is a really smart kid and there's so many of them there. I just love that, you know, there may be a future giant nut winner um, among these these kids um, that are competing today. Um, 
with the robots that they're building in their garage with really basic tools. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. The, the the sport kind of like it's it's always it's always regenerating itself with fresh blood, which is great. Um, so yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, I am gonna transition here to questions here from MIM team member Brandon Bennett Young. I know dear friend of yours. Uh, he runs Phenomenon at NHRL. Uh, he writes, "Hey JMO, congrats again on the win. I greatly admire the level of care and tuning you put into your machines. That has taught me much on improving my own robots. Can you share?" The evolution of Ron to Sawblade slash Megatron, specifically, what observations led you to the hammer saw versus the cutting saw idea? So, you know, when you started cutting saw, super famous for that. Today, it's mm. very different. You know, how did that uh, that evolution happen? Yeah. Oh, man. There's a, I actually have a whole photo album that I submitted to BattleBots for the cut of the final episode. I literally it's it's literally it's an album of um all the Rons to Megatrons to Sawblades in chronological order. And it's kinda cool looking at the the thousand foot view at at the robot and how it's changed so much. Uh we'll just say, all right, so categorically, the things that have changed the most is how it holds people and then the weapon itself. Right? Uh I guess I'll I'll talk about Brandon's question specifically. So what led from the cutting saw to the hammer saw blade? And there's a a bunch of factors. So for one, it's really hard to cut into something and not break yourself. So a really good cutting blade, usually it needs the hardened tips. So you're, let's say if you take a, a normal wood or metal saw blade, right? They're really sharp teeth. You have to feed them in very delicately so you're getting the correct amount of removal rate. If you bite too hard, which is what you would want in a normal spinner, the teeth break off, the, the brazed on or epoxied on car, uh, carbide tips, right? They would break off chip, and then you're not cutting anything anymore. It, it gets really, really difficult after that. Uh, so my, my early robots on Ron, they were all using off-the-shelf saw blades, and you know they would probably fail to last like a match or so. You have to replace them. You have to be very, very delicate with them. And this is fighting robots. This is anything but delicate. You know, you don't want to bring such a precision instrument into the arena. And, you know, by the time that Ron had finished, you know, competing, its run was over. Uh, Megatron didn't come until several years later when, to the graces of Charles, had donated. I said, hey, have a bunch of parts for a 30-pounder. Go build something for Moto. And then I did. It also used cutting blades. So I had, the, you know, the circular saws at one point i tried an abrasive wheel and that was fun because it exploded um, so it's kind of led to this evolution of i need a cutting blade i was still on cutting blades something which could work with a lot of different materials but was a lot more forgiving so i started getting wind of these uh of these diamond uh raised wheels so that the, the diamond cutoff wheels are more general purpose that's when we also got that sponsorship with uh cutting edge rescue saws so that they make they supply the blades for like firefighters they you know when you need to get through a building or a car and you don't want to spend your time changing blades because time is of the essence you go with your cuts everything diamond blade and it goes through literally everything so they started buying uh smaller ones to test with megatron on that but even then you required a lot of pressure to really blast through that material it was still very very difficult um 
at some point I had remembered uh, an early experience that I had with one of the versions of Ron, which actually did use a saw blade, but instead of trying to cut delicately through it, I just spun it up to full speed and then smashed it down on the carbon fiber top panel of another robot, and it worked really, really well. I said, oh, you know what, how about I try that again? And still on the topic of saw blades, I had a cold arbor blade uh, that I, I bought off eBay and had modified it to basically attach to a, a V-belt hub and I spun it like a spinner and then tested it by cutting through this uh, aluminum like uh, extrusion thing. It sliced all the way through it. It didn't slow down hardly at all. So I said, all right, I think we're onto something. That's the version of Megatron, which I very last minute took to the Franklin Institute. Uh, I think Brandon was there, so he may remember that one. Uh, that was Megatron's first outing, which was not supposed to be its first outing, but it was probably good that it happened because I wouldn't, I, it wouldn't have lasted very long. Kyle Singer with Big Ripto ripped the whole front off and sent it into the ceiling, and as a result, 30-pounders have never been allowed to that event ever again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you ruined it for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess they didn't want to have an arena breach inside of a museum with a bunch of kids just uh, sitting three feet away. You know, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It yeah. was uh, it was scary and very impressive. Uh, and I learned a lot about the armor construction for thirty pound robots, but the the weapon itself, the idea to spin up a a cutting blade, and then slam it down and then let it do damage that that stuck that stayed with, um, and then that that evolution has been going on in the background while saw blades was applied with a cutting blade. And maintained a cutting blade until season four, where we kind of use it interchangeably. Uh, technically, in season five, we still had the diamond saw. Also, technically, even now we still have the diamond saw, but the hammer saw is just such a more versatile weapon. I think what's good about it, it's a lot more forgiving. You can spin it up. Uh, you can apply it forcefully. It's more durable if it gets hit. Like we've been hit on the blade a few times by now in Megatron or saw blades, and it continues to persist. Uh, a the old diamond blade, which is a, like a, an eighth inch uh, high speed steel, would have snapped or bent. Bronco flipped us in 2018 and landed on the blade, and it was done. I mean, heck, saw blades turned. It was too close to the wall. The blade hit the wall, and it bent. You know that the level of durability would not fly in the battle box these days. These robots go absolutely tumbling through the air. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Brandon also wants to know what's been the effect of building other robots alongside your hammer saws. For example, were there lessons learned from attrition or silent spring that you implemented into the hammer saw lineage? Oh, great question. Uh, I don't know exactly if they directly ported into uh, Ron Megatron saw blades, but it was definitely a lot of fun to get experience with different kinds of robots. And maybe, maybe what the general takeaway is, you learn these sort of basic building blocks about how to build robots that, you know, that survive and work well. Uh, something that I always joke about with other builders, I have these kind of, uh, these mottos, one of which is, uh, friends don't let friends put screws in shear. Uh, <laughs> little, little design guidelines like that. So you, you build enough robots and you, you think like, oh, this is a great way of doing it. And then it falls apart somehow. And you learn, I shouldn't do that again. I should find a different way of 
handling all the loads and that's kind of what that's kind of one of them you, you know you find ways to fasten your things together better or you do your electronics not so densely so that you can service them uh, i think megatron sawblaze do a great job of that right now as well um, another one that i have is uh, set screws is a acronym stands for secures everything terribly <laughs> yeah which for mo- most cases set screws are like all over the place and you know if you use them correctly they're fine but for most cases they they seem to vibrate or they mess up the shafts because they're basically biting into it and it gives you a lot of problems. So I, I always find ways to not use set screws into things. But I know sometimes when you need and space is tight, it's unavoidable. But I throw these around. I think they're really funny and uh, I hope that they help people. Yeah, good, uh, good, good, good reminders there. Yeah, let's let's write those down. Um, Cameron Hutton has a good question. Do you have a favorite bot to watch when you're not competing? So I guess, uh, you know, not at NHRL, not at, uh, I guess you're always at BattleBots, but um you know, uh, when <laughs> when you turn on a stream or something, you know, do you have a favorite robot that you'd love to follow, you know, um, out, out in the many fields of local competitions out there? Hmm. Oh, man, there's there's so many. Uh, I I just like, I'm, I'm blanking right now. There's so many that I think are just so cool. I just really enjoy watching them. Um, I love watching ring spinners and melties mm. uh, i think that is such an exciting challenge i'm i'm basically always rooting for them too mm. because they're such a hard challenge to do i really want to see them do well uh and i'm always i'm very impressed when when they when they're doing uh, awesome in the arena uh ring spinners especially you know after also seeing what aaron is doing with uh pensive prosciutto i have a new appreciation for the complexity as well i mean aaron definitely took that to 200 percent with his his design yeah so it's really cool to see all that work um i saw i yeah i, I saw pensive uh pensive is on the roster for june nhrl so uh hoping to see the robot again i mean i i love the i mean there, it's just so mechanically complex it's difficult enough to do a ring spinner and put a shuffler inside of it as well um so it is uh it's it's appreciated you know um as as somebody who loves loves a good complex design yeah uh we're we're both going to june as it stands uh usually we go together you know and so if he's going he's going with with pensive i'm trying to go with something i don't think i'll have the new silent spring ready in time i think there's 25 days is i i forgot who who likes to post the the t minus however many days (laughs) left but yeah (laughs) I'm reminded that I don't think I have enough time to finish it, so we'll we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, who else do I absolutely love watching at NHRL? Um, I love always seeing uh, the new stuff that uh, the Team WPI folks put out. Yeah, like Brian Boxel and uh, there's so many WPI students now these days. It's so hard to watch. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to follow exactly how many of them there are. Yeah. I also char- I cheer really hard for the Robo Jackets. Yeah. I am I am a Georgia Tech alumni. Yes, and I'm really happy to see the Robo Jackets. How much that organization has grown and all the events they travel to. So when they came to the last uh, Norwalk that I was at, I was just so happy to, to see them. I just wanted to like find out how everything is doing. How's the campus? How's the organization? How's the bots? Like, and they're awesome too. I mean, Chonky was so cool. Mm. That was a beast of a machine. 
Yeah, I think I, I think I told you this, but uh, I, I ran into one of your former TAs at a wedding like two weeks ago um, at Georgia Tech, and uh, <laughs> you're you're like you're his uh, you're his like celebrity claim to fame when he meets people at parties, you know, like oh you know Battlebots, Battlebots, I, I I know a Battlebots guy, you know Jameson. So um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, Robo Jackets. I I've got to talk to them more. I mean, like I I caught up with them briefly. I really want to do like a feature on them because they brought so many students um, to the competition and really doing so many cool things in robotics. Like it's not just combat. It's also, I think, soccer robots, walking robots, AI robots. Um, the the yep. team And don't is... forget their mentorship program yeah. for the first robotics as well. Right. So Robo Jackets is an awesome organization. They compete in so many different challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alex Pick and uh, Keith, you know, I guess Alex Pick, you know, obviously runs Zane at NHRL. Keith uh, runs robots called Shotgun and Toothache. Um, they want to know about uh, other other weight classes. So have you ever built and competed in the fairy weight, ant weight, 15 pounds, 60 pound or 120 pound weight classes in the past? Uh, for the fairies and ants, yes. I used to have uh, a lot of horizontal undercutters. Uh, so you know we know about Silent Spring already. Silent Spring was not the first style of that one. The first one that I built was actually uh, is a fairy weight called P150, and it was inspired by another builder in Florida. He had a, a robot named Peligro, which was it's kind of like the same shape actually as Silent Spring. He didn't have the wheel guards. He had the large undercutting blade slung out in the front. And he had a friction drive onto the ring of the blade. I made a fairy weight. That's where the P comes from in 150 grams. It was a direct drive uh, undercutting fairy weight. And it, you know, it, it had all the, the old stuff that fairy weights would have back then, which was like servos, which were hacked to go 100, uh, sorry, not 100 degrees, 360 degrees. That wouldn't be a full rotation. Uh, and there's a direct drive brushless motor that I actually built out of a um, a CD-ROM hmm. motor. Okay. So I, that's how we did it back in the days. You had to brushless motors were the hot new thing. So I actually had to open up a CD-ROM thing. Uh, yeah, if people knows know what those are, I had to crack all the ferrite magnets out from the from the bell, and I had to glue in little magnets as well. And then if I chose to rewind the stator, which I think the first time I did not do that. I had to make the mounting for it as well. And then I had to drill holes and whatnot to attach the blade onto it. Like brushless was, uh, was super new back then. And so that's what, that's what the fairy weight was. Um, I built DDT after that, which is a bigger version of that one pound robot, a lot similar to Peligro that I mentioned. I think it, it actually used the same blade, but I used, I did a belt drive instead of the friction drive and, those those two robots were they were pretty successful in their day. DDT, uh, I mean that was such a long time ago. The last time it fought, I lent it out to Aaron to compete at a Andy Suaro's event in California, and it got broken half by David Rush, <laughs> by Odium. I think it was Odium. So that was the last time it fought. But it used to be a, a pretty staple ant weight in the in the in the day. But somewhere before it died, I built Silent Spring, which was supposed to be this glass cannon undercutter 
It was uh, the blade was made by water jetting a piece of witch doctor's armor from oh. the first season of BattleBots. Wow, cool. AR four hundred, and I, you know, that's cheese material by now, but back in the day, it was a big deal. Wow, that's really cool. Um, I have not built any lightweights or middleweights, so I have I haven't done that yet. There's still time, you know. There's still trophies out there for you to win, Jamie. So, uh, <laughs> you know, let's uh, let's let's not uh, let's not limit ourselves. Um, all right, we have uh, we have still probably <laughs> questions for another thirty people. So I'm going to do a rapid fire single question per person. I'm so I apologize to everyone. I'm going to just just ask the best of your five or six questions per person. Um, uh, NHL community director Gil Hova wants to know, will you and Aaron ever bring back ham shake or perhaps Dale of three hams, or will you both cook up something even weirder for NHRL? Mm. Uh, the hams are always meant for one-time deals. Oh, uh, yeah. So ham shake, I mean, you notice we never brought back the tail of three hams as well. So all the hams are meant to be one-time deals. Uh, and they're never actually supposed to do very well. So ham shake was definitely an outlier. Uh, you know, should, would we actually take ham shake and then it, it wouldn't be called, it wouldn't be ham shake anymore. It, it, would, it would have to be a serious entry after that if we ever did a one person controlled. But the, the elements to the ham is it has to be some sort of weird design and it has to be multiplayer in a mm-hmm. way that you wouldn't normally expect. Hmm. So those are the critical parts. So Tale of Three Hams, for example, was disjointed control. So it was a lot of coordination, which makes it really silly and fun. Hamshake, of course, is uh, the droopy style, and each person got a blade, so they're responsible for weapon and drive. It just it makes it really challenging, really funny, and it's it, it's it, it's it's like how you know I, I guess we we're on the serious end of bot builders these days. People take us very seriously. This is how we have our fun. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm gonna privately just uh, mourn, you know, the death of Tail Three Hams. I've been waiting for like a year for it to come back. I love that robot, but uh, you know what? Oh, I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just gonna say, you know, I'm just gonna smile that it happened, you know, like, uh, and I can't be sad that it's uh, it's gone to live in a, a farm upstate or whatever, you know. Um, it's it was... on it's on my shelf. They all still work. You know, I'll tell you what. Maybe maybe if we if we can't think of any great ideas in the next year, maybe you're gonna see. The tale of ham shake. Yes. Oh. And I'll let you good. figure out what it, what that is. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, <laughs> Seth Seth Schaefer has a yes or no question. Do you think a hammer saw bot can be competitive at three pounds like it is at thirty and two hundred and fifty? I think the answer is yes. There's okay. a lot of great examples of that. Yeah. Tothic has been pretty awesome. Uh, uh, samurai. You, you could you can consider yeah samurai. You can consider uh star child to an extent as yeah, well yeah i mean that's not ex- it's like a thwacking bot so it's not really hammer saw but i think it, it follows along the same vein it can be effective drop saw also from jack and down in florida i think he won an event recently with with his hammer saw bot so definitely there's potential nice steve dufort wants to know uh which weight class is the most enjoyable for you to design and build for and which weight class is most enjoyable to compete in could be the same weight class, could be different, you know, design and build versus compete. Uh, I'm definitely loving the hecticness of the three pounds. I think that you can you can iterate very quickly. There's a lot of different opponents. There's a lot of people you can talk to because that's such a it's there's so many folks that are especially now involved in that weight class. So 
there's just a lot more exposure, I think, in the three pounds. I think probably my favorite one is to fight in the thirties, though. The thirties, hmm. it's uh, it's somewhere between, you know, it is it is probably one of the more expensive of the weight classes that that we have at NHRL, but uh, the hits are massive. Uh, you get the the big crowd appeal, and it it's a uh, they're they're big enough that. Uh, you're not you're not like struggling over over small screws and bolts like it's it's got right. this it's got this it's real heft to it you know yeah so am I doing a good job describing yeah. that <laughs> no of course yeah I mean I I selfishly I'd love to see a flamethrower inside a Megatron you know so uh, at some point maybe that's maybe find find some weight for it you know that 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 that'd be great. Well, we thought about taking the Sawblaze flamethrower module. Like it's, oh. it, we could probably it could stick onto, it could probably fit on a twelve or a thirty very well. Okay, good, good. Maybe, uh, maybe. Ryan Hunter wants to know: Do you have any preferred spots to sit in the pits at NHRL? Like when you walk <laughs> up there, you know, do you just pick any available seats, or you know, do you have like a Jameson go section? I think at this point we kind of roll in relatively late, Aaron and I. Uh, I know some folks check in on Friday. Some folks get even get in even earlier than us. We have a tradition where we basically stop at the McDonald's. It's across from a restaurant called Titanic. It's a Thai restaurant, which is a great name. <laughs> um, so we usually end up later than some of our competitors. So we kind of take whatever we can get. Uh, I think my favorite spot though has been right across from the pit desk, so I can I can harass Ryan about when I'm going to fight next. <laughs> good um all right transitioning over into random questions and there were so many great random questions i feel so bad that i have to trim these um i'm gonna see if i can kind of combine this one question here from reagan bachelor he, he has three of them uh reagan basically has questions about driving skills um what's the best way to drive to build driving skills and uh what about when you're about to compete in four days and he gave the little sweating emoji so i think that uh, reagan's uh, trying to cram for the exam a little bit, you know, is there, is there a way to become a better driver in just four days? Eye hand coordination, anything that helps you with eye hand coordination. So literally just, you know, playing video games could be as simple as that. I want to make something happen on this screen and I have my hands. How do I, how do I do that? It used to be, what was it? Like my, my friends used to tell me all these like beat mapping games to practice for, you know, uh, hitting things on things like League of Legends or Overwatch or something like that. Just anything that helps you with eye-hand coordination will do you wonders. Um, I don't do anything specific other than that. You know, maybe warm up your hands. You know, dexterity. Yeah. Keep them active. Good. Discord user, my name is Sue, uh, writes that uh, she discovered uh, rediscovered BattleBots recently after finding NHRL's clips on YouTube and kind of searching for other stuff and was like, oh my God, BattleBots is back on TV. Used to be a big fan of the Comedy Central um, kind of era of the show. And uh, she's like, you know what? I'm so happy that um, Sawblaze won because it was the robot that really captured my attention this this uh, this season. Um, my name is Sue asks, uh, hypothetically, if Sawblaze didn't exist and you had to drive somebody else's robot in the pits at BattleBots, which robot would you choose and why? Like a pre-existing robot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Huh, huh, huh. Well, I guess this kind of funnels into uh, a lot of the questions people ask if you could drive a robot, which isn't yours. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I've always really loved Tantrum. Mm. Ever since they kicked our butt, I love Tantrum. <laughs> uh, the the drivetrain looks, it's so nimble. It's fantastic. Uh, I want to experience that for myself. And I also think the robot is just is cool. The punching mechanism, you know, people ask, oh, what's it for? It has its it has its moments. And when it has those moments, it, it makes them extremely obvious. But I just even if I was just driving, you know, if I sub in for Dylan one time, I'd love to see what it's like to drive that robot around. Mm. Um, I got to drive Hypershock this this past weekend, so that was pretty cool too. Um, Wait, like the show version of uh, Hypershock or the show bot version uh, for Destructizon? The, the show, the Destructizon Hypershock. Wow. It was a surprise to me. They surprised me with that. So I, I got to try to someone else's robot. Uh, it that was a lot of fun. I got to awesome. say. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, Pat Maloney, who uh, recently met you and uh, took a selfie with you at uh, NHRL, uh, writes, what can you say for someone like me who has no clue what they're doing but wants to make a robot? Where is the best place to start? He adds, also, could you possibly bring the giant nut to NHRL pretty please? (laughs) Um, I'll have to think about bringing the giant nut. I think it'll be very, very popular and since uh, Aaron and I will be competing, we can't always watch it. I I would hate for it to walk off. I don't think anyone would do that. Yeah. But uh, no, no, just put yeah. it up at the announcer desk. You know, like uh, cool. you're gonna get live footage of it, so you know you can just well, see it. We'll all have the time. to. See. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll have to. We'll have to see if we have space in the car. Yeah. Well, we'll consider it for sure. Okay. Um, what's it? What's my advice for someone who wants to get started in, in robots? Well, you know, I think I think the the advice that everyone gives, and I think it's very good advice, is to really just start to build anything and it seems like an oversimplification but really you know when you start to you start to delve down into those questions the questions breed more questions and then soon enough you're going to have these building blocks that that you'll learn and then you'll start putting something together that moves i think the greatest the greatest thing when i think back on building my first robot the satisfaction of having something that moves is it's like a it's like a gateway you know i'm i'm getting there you know i'm i'm making something and uh it's it's hard to just unless you just start somewhere yeah. i mean luckily at this point in time we have kits which help walk you through the process of it and you know the parts are available so it's it you know it you will be able to find things which work well with one another they're really just to make something that moves the way you want it to you can drive it around a little bit and then you start asking the questions about weapons and armor and design but starting with the basics what's a motor what's a gearbox what's a wheel how do they go together what's it with my batteries and my speed controllers my receiver equipment start making something that moves tape yeah. it down to cardboard it's a lot of fun pat bring your cardboard robot to nhrl and uh yeah just start i i I love that i love that advice um if you bring it we'll diagnose it together good if there's there's anything wrong with it so we'll we'll work on it together if you bring your cardboard robot yeah um matt lantry who runs fallout at nhrl uh has a good serious question what is your favorite comedy central era battle bot do you have a favorite oh wow uh i'm a big fan of overkill uh overkill it it the characteristics that are notable in sawblaze i like to think are inspired by overkill uh not the spinner killing aspect i don't think we're nearly as durable as, as overkill was but this sort of 
smash and bash sort of thing. We we love to slam people against the wall. Overkill is definitely known for doing that. And also the characters, those two giant go-kart wheels, right? Early Sawblades is just like so characteristic. It had these the two big go-kart wheels on it as well. I thought it was so cool. It reminded me of a dragster. The dragster dragon that breathes fire and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I loved Overkill. It's definitely one of my favorites. I have uh, just two more questions here. This one's very important. I've cut out probably 80 questions, but I'm going to keep this one in because I'm personally interested in this. Jaden Shuba, who runs Walta at NHRL, wants to know, Tale of Three Hams shirts when... And I'm going to say, I also am interested in this. I would buy one. That's a that's an awesome question. Um, I was actually spitballing with Aaron about this. Aaron and Zoe, uh, the, the Fan Wango team. I was spitballing about making a, a Tale of Three Hams shirt. Uh, we are not very yeah. experienced in this merchandising game. I mean, we only just first, like last week, got the Sawblaze store up and running after so many years. But, you know, I, I had an idea for like, the Tale of Three Hams shirt. You know, it would have the tail three hams or something on the front, and on the back it would have some like statistics or facts about it. It would basically be some of the stuff that you guys were <laughs> rattling off during the fight. Good. Like turns on one hundred fifty dollars, uh, <laughs> this and that. Yes. But, you know, whatever. It's little little factoids that you guys were saying. Yeah. I, I would purchase that's, this. That's I would purchase. This. A hundred times over. Oh, I would purchase this in a second. Yeah, talk to Hotcoin, talk to Tony D'Ambrosio. You know, like make it happen. It's gonna oh, be great. We have the the hot um, Hotcoin did the art. I commissioned actually uh, Tail Three Hams art for Christmas to surprise Aaron and Zoe with. Nice. So we all have framed oh. Tail Three Hams artwork thanks to Hotcoin. That is perfect. Um, so. Yeah, like I, I'm. I listen. I'm. I'll, I'll buy it. I'll. I'll give you my credit card information right now, live on the podcast. Oh, no. um, okay, <laughs> we are going to cap out this very delightful interview uh, with a question here from Horizon team member and Battlebot superfan Mary Catherine Carr. She sent in like nine. They were all delightful. I'm only going to ask one, just for the sake of time. Um, is the giant nut getting along with all of the golden dumpsters, or do they fight for space? Yeah, the they're a little bit jealous. I keep them separated. You see. <laughs> Um, the the dumpsters they currently have the high ground you see, uh, so maybe there's mm. a little bit of advantage there. But you know if they don't all work together, the mass of the giant nut will overtake them. So this is kind of like this David Goliath, uh, uh, Obi Wan, Anakin Skywalker thing. I mean they also like a lot of people forget about the giant bolt as well. The founders of Ward is also right. sitting there with the nut. So you got to be careful because if the dumpsters try, you know, bigger, bigger brother is right over there. Bigger brother weighs like 45 pounds. So together, the yeah. nut and the bolt, they're, they're quite a, a formidable team. So the dumpsters, they have to be careful. I mean, the problem is the dumpsters have like an almost uncountable, you know, number in their ranks. Uh, you've got dumpsters, I, I'm assuming, just like sitting on the floor in closets, <laughs> like probably in like uh, some just kind of box somewhere, you know? Am I like in, in my mind, Jamo, like I just imagine you like kind of stumbling through your house and just uh, like like tripping over a dumpster and just be like, oh, my God, I, I won back in like 2022. Like this, uh, this event. Wow, this is incredible. You know, uh, totally forgot about that one, you know. But oh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to answer that because you may, you may <laughs> be <laughs> a, 
I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> good, good. Yes. Um, I'm going to say thank you so much, Jameson, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for competing. Thanks for being a great steward of our sport. Um, I think that you are really just a shining example of everything that we talk about um, that, the, that the community is and aspires to be. I um, want to congratulate you on winning your first giant nut, and hopefully it is uh, the first of many. And uh, on all of your many uh, golden dumpsters and your golden brets, uh, you know, I hope that that is also, uh, you know, the 12th of many uh, or however many the, <laughs> the number is. Um, and I uh, can't wait to see you in a couple weeks uh, at June NHRL. Oh, you guys are you guys are simply too nice. Those are some fantastic. Uh, those, those are huge compliments. Uh, you know, they're, they're making me smile and blush and all that. There's uh, I, I think I'm just one of one of many great builders out there. And I think as a whole, we all make this sport super awesome and friendly. And, you know, we just, we're, 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 this is transforming the world. You know, if I could have the same effect on any other builder, any other young folk or whatever age folk, actually, if I could have the same effect when I was young, right? I first saw battle bots or fighting robots in general and just inspire them and transform their entire life. Like who who knows who who would have thought that seeing a VHS tape when I was younger could lead to all of this? I think I would be so happy to transform someone else's life in such a positive way. We're we're all working on that together. Thank you very much for the compliment. I'm not the only one doing. Uh, I'm not alone in this though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Jameson. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for robots around the world. This week, we're traveling to North Carolina, where an engineer has built a robot that solves one of life's most annoying social obligations, writing handwritten letters to your friends. Amen. <laughs> Shane Whiten documented the build in this week uh, on his YouTube channel, Stuff Made Here. He used a robotic arm that could pick up greeting cards and feed them into a plotter that held a conventional ballpoint pen. The plotter used software that analyzes your handwriting and creates a font that has some variation in the way it writes letters and words, just like human handwriting. The result was a fully automated handwriting machine that was so good it fooled forensic handwriting specialists. I am all for this. Um, as someone who uh, labored over <laughs> writing all of the uh, wedding thank you cards, um, I really could have used a robot for that. And uh, as also someone who listens to a lot of true crime uh, podcasts, it's a little scary that it can, uh, you know, fool forensic uh, handwriting specialists because sometimes you, you need that in a case. But uh, you know what? The, the pros outweigh the cons on this one. I feel like the, the awful thing about handwritten letters is that the pain and suffering is part of the gift. It's like, oh, wow, you can clearly see that I spent an hour and my hand hurts um, and I wrote on this little piece of paper for you. I don't want to do that. I just want to write in a word processor and have a robot do it for me. Um, I feel so much guilt when I don't send a handwritten note. And I obviously I'm not a sociopath, so I can't send a um, a 
typed and and printed out, you know, letter to somebody. So um, instead, I'm just a social hermit when I wish that I I, I would send more. So um, yeah, I'm I'm all for this uh, this robot. I think I, I just gave my favorite card uh, ever that I've given to someone to my mom on this recent Mother's Day. So. You know, we're we're running around, we're doing our errands. I go into uh, you know, a CVS Walgreens type of deal. And obviously there there has already been a run on the Mother's Day section. There were two cards left. One was for a, a first year mom, which I had to pick up as my sister and and Luke have had my uh, my niece Pepper uh born in the last year. So perfect, boom check check one box but then the other card the only other one left literally the 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 shelves were barren uh was one of the most uh intense pop-up cards with glitter uh embossed foil the whole nine yards <laughs> and it was like 15 dollars. <laughs> so inside the card i wrote like mom I love you so much. I spent $15 on this Mother's Day card. Happy Mother's Day. Love, Chris and Lindsay. And it was, that was a joy to sign. And she loved uh, but, it. You know, <laughs> she loved it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if for all you folks out there, if you, uh, if you really want to impress a mom, uh, you don't need to write a beautiful note inside just buy the most expensive card at the local pharmacy that you can possibly muster and just yeah give it yeah she she has like a capitalist sense of humor it's so great you know i think the only thing that she'd like better is like a hundred dollar card you know um doesn't even matter what it what it looks like uh just uh there's you know more gold chris it's just it's a, it like it explodes diamonds out of it like glitter good yeah. Or it yeah, just makes exactly. like slot machine noises. <laughs> it's it's actually just a slot machine wrapped up in an envelope. <laughs> this is this is an actual this is our first actual money making idea. All right. We've had we've had drones over the cat skills, you know. We've hey. had we've had uh, I don't know, soft soft robots that enter your body. And uh and this this is this is our, our first real million dollar idea, you guys. I think it's just a scratch off lottery ticket inside of a card. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Which is my dad's favorite. That's <laughs> right. great. He's going to hit big one of these days, Chris. <laughs> you could, uh, for his birthday, I don't know, book a Hudson River striper fishing charter boat <laughs> uh, for hundreds and hundreds of dollars and you get a, ah, yeah, okay. You put two win for life scratch off tickets inside of an envelope. Literally, the earth comes to a standstill. He's crying. <laughs> <laughs> How many lottery tickets could, could you have purchased for the price of that striper fishing trip? <laughs> uh, you know what? We, we can imagine. Like 300, probably. Yeah, well, the odds of him at least winning on one of the tickets was a lot higher than us catching any fish that day. So, you know. Lesson learned. <laughs> well, um, you know, that's about it for us today. And, you know, hey, guys, we made it through a season. Yay. Woo, we did it. I, uh, yeah. I'm i going to, well, I'm going to. It's been a great season. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a real ride. And this is like, you know, we've 
we've been on teams, we've been doing NHRL, we've been doing this. It's um yeah. Uh you know, it kind of feels like a a sad ending, but you know us, we're going to be back here probably in no time at all. It sounds it sounds like you're saying goodbye forever. Well, folks out there, we, wow, look at look at us. What what a good run we've had. We do have an announcement to make and it is very very sad. <laughs> uh, we are going to be taking a few week break. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because we're insane. We're going to be back. We'll, uh, we're going to run a couple of awesome mini-sodes with some great uh, interviews with uh, some some captains that we had seen there in the, in the final stages of the tournament. We are going to be bringing you interviews with Jonathan Schultz, and we'll, we'll uh, bring in Luke from Copperhead. Uh, really some great stuff that we have planned. And then, you know, we're going to take a couple of weeks, but then, you know, we'll be back in, what, what would you say, June time? Beginning of July? Yeah, probably for like a June NHRL like kind of preview. Uh, and also, don't forget, we're going to do another crossover episode with the Rogocast and Outside the Box, uh, where we take a look back on uh, on the season and we share with you all of our hot takes. And also read all of your hot takes, too. So, uh, so watch out for that. All the takes. So this break is really n- not much. It's of a like break. maybe one week break before we're back with Gil <laughs> talking about June NHRL. Yes. Yeah. Don't forget, we've got June NHRL coming up too. So we'll be there for two whole days and then doing a review episode of that. So yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah. we're not going. Yeah. And then we kick off our our NHRL coverage. You know, we're just going to go straight into NHRL builders. For the next, and then eventually they're going to release that giant bolt tournament. We're going to have to talk about since City Slug. Fest, oh yeah, so. there's some great Cinderella stories there. You know, we're going to have to definitely do that, Chris. I I think maybe our break's going to be like one week. You know, yeah, we'll see you all soon. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we do this? We are literally Sisyphus pushing this podcast up the hill. And it rolls back down on us every single week. Combat robotics does not sleep, and I wish it would for my own mental health. <laughs> Can I just like we've we've taken almost no time <laughs> off in four years? Yeah, it's been four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unlike other podcasts, we are um, timely, so we have to do this live every single week. I will never take a vacation, you guys. <laughs> uh, true but we love you and, and all. let's also give let's give a huge shout out to nicole who has been doing such an incredible job editing for us um you know nicole we we love you you are fantastic and we we need you thank you nicole <laughs> we need you so bad <laughs> <laughs> thank you nicole if you if you see nicole on the street like he, just praise her. Just give her a nice firm handshake. Look her right in the eye and say thank you. Yes. Yeah. If she happens to show up at your BattleBots viewing party, just just give her a front row seat and bring her a bucket of popcorn. Just yes. give it to her. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll see you in a couple days. All right. Uh, we love you all. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>